Happy Suicide Squad week. James Gunn's take on Task Force X is finally here, but was it any good? We break down the Suicide Squad in full and draft our favorite characters from the movie with comicbook.com's Chris Killian. As always, we kick things off with the top news from Marvel, DC, and Star Wars and provide you a detailed update on the murky lawsuit between Scarlett Johansson and the House of Mouse. Oh, and we got an interview with What If director Brian Andrews and writer AC Bradley. It's the Direct Podcast, episode 45. Time codes are in the description down below. Let's get to work. Truth is, I am a Jedi and I am burdened with glorious purpose. <laughs> What's going on, everyone? It's the Direct Podcast, episode 45, inching closer and closer to 50 episodes in total, inching closer to our one-year anniversary. But before we get there, we have so much news, so much reviews, so much interviews, so many drafts to get to in this very episode. I am your host, the content machine, Liam Crowley, joined, as always, with the horribly beautiful minds of Matt Remke. Matt, how are we doing? I'm doing well, Liam, 45 episodes in, you know, some would say that, man, you've been doing this 45 weeks in a row. Others would say, Hey, you guys are just getting started. I prefer to believe the latter. Um, it's, it's an exciting episode we got here today, man. We got news from all three corners of the world and, uh, you know, we're going to talk a bunch of different stuff about Marvel, but I'll say it. This might be our most DC heavy show yet. I think so. I think it just might be. We have two full segments related to DCEU content. Unheard of here in the direct podcast, but you know what? I'm excited to be here for it. Unheard of is, is the best way to describe it because our most DC heavy episode never aired. We did a fun unaired pilot where we talked about DC fandom before we got officially greenlit by the website. So our most our most heavy DC episode remains in the vault who knows, maybe come DC Fandom 2, we'll, we'll release snippets of that. But what a great time that was. That's crazy because we, we dropped that uh, just about a year ago today or recorded it a year ago today. And here we are now. One of the headlining movies from DC Fandom has finally arrived in The Suicide Squad. And speaking of The Suicide Squad, we gave one of our very, very lovely listeners a Fandango gift card. As we mentioned last week, we ran a little contest. Let us know who you are most excited for in The Suicide Squad. And one of our listeners, Jordan Tanner at Mighty underscore Jor on Twitter won. So congrats, Jordan. Hope you enjoy Suicide Squad this weekend on us. Get yourself Uh, a ticket, get yourself some popcorn, a nice large soda, and enjoy this wonderful, wonderful movie. We will be doing more giveaways, Matt. As we've mentioned, we're going to do gift Uh card giveaways leading into theatrical releases, and stay tuned for all those Funko giveaways whenever we really feel like it, because we love giving back to this community. Before we uh, hit the news this week, Matt, I understand we have a quick question. We do have a quick question, Liam. Just a little quick here for you. Um, you know, we got a uh, question from a an iTunes review. Um, Phil Swift Ultra Fan is the uh, name of the account that dropped the review. You guys have awesome names. Um, he asked us, "Will John Bernthal ever return as the Punisher?" 
uh, Phil Swift, I think that's a great question, but um, if you don't mind, I'm going to parlay it into a kind of a bigger question about Marvel Netflix, Liam. I just started diving into Daredevil myself. I'm halfway through the second season. The show rocks. I love it. It's really fun. Um, but John Berthal specifically as Punisher really stood out to me, and I thought, man, they could do Punisher again, but it's not going to be this awesome. It's just it, there's no way. And uh, it's the way Bernthal plays it. Obviously, the rest of the Daredevil and the other Marvel Netflix cast is great. So all that to say, Liam, future involvement for those actors and characters in the MCU, it's really up in the air right now. We don't know when the next time we'll see Luke Cage is, and we don't know who's going to play him. Is it going to be the actor from the Netflix series that I forgot to write down? Um, Is it going to be Charlie Cox as Daredevil in Spider-Man No Way Home? Is John Bernthal going to return as Punisher? That brings us back to the Phil Swift Ultra fan question. So, um, Liam, I'm just going to ask you, what are your thoughts? What are your opinions? What do you see happening with the uh, Marvel Netflix roster moving into the MCU? And let's let's do this assuming that Charlie Cox is playing Matt Murdock in Spider-Man No Way Home. That's the precedent I'm going to set for you. If he is playing Matt Murdock, same version, different version, if if it's the if it's the same version, what does that mean for the rest of the roster? I, I was trying to think of the actor who plays Luke Cage, but for the uh, life of me, I cannot remember. And I don't even want to look it up because I feel like maybe later in the show it'll come to me. But uh, as for your question specifically, I would be kind of surprised, honestly, if we do end up seeing Charlie Cox in No Way Home and an actor like John Bernthal doesn't make the jump over, specifically because people revere his performance. People, a lot of people who are like so married to the character of the Punisher put him in Downey category as just an elite tier actor who was born to play this role. I haven't seen enough of him to, to necessarily attach myself to that superlative. However, he, he's always been someone to me who seems so charismatic, uh, such uh, blossoming. It's weird to say blossoming A-list talent because he's been around for so long, but he's been in some really, really big movies. Baby Driver, Wolf of Wall Street. Like he's no uh, just random actor on the street. So getting him to pop into the MCU and connect with other characters, I think is an avenue I'd like to see them go down. I think if they are going to bring him in and bring the character of the Punisher in, I think you wait to see how Deadpool 3 performs at the box office. Get the R rating in the MCU out there. Let an established character like Deadpool run wild. And if slash when Disney sees a big box office return on an R-rated property, they then turn to the Punisher and say, okay, how can Frank Castle, you know, a a new character who hasn't been on the big screen um, in a while, at least not in the MCU capacity, how does he translate to R-rated box office and who better to bring in than John Bernthal? I agree. I think that, you know, at, again, I'm two and a half seasons in to Daredevil. You know, it's been around for years. I'm just now getting around to it. But, you know, he is a highlight of the show so far. And it's if you watch one scene from Daredevil, Liam, watched, I guess, the first episode of the second season when they introduced Punisher as an army, like, like, you know, someone's doing these things and everyone's convinced it's an army of people taking people down, but no, it's a one man army and it's uh, Frank Castle as the Punisher and John Bernthal plays it so well. So, I mean, as far as bringing that actor in to play that character character, it'll be interesting. I personally don't think that Punisher is going to be the character we learn about um, from the Marvel Netflix, Netflix side, first, second, or even third. I think that, 
I think that Daredevil is going to make his way into the MCU in a really awesome way. Will it be in Spider-Man No Way Home? We will find out with Charlie Cox playing the role. Evan Peters, you know, duped us all. You know, we, we went through the Evan Peters experience. What's the Charlie Cox thing going to look like in No Way Home? But even after that, I think Luke Cage is going to get an amazing run in the MCU as a as an Avenger. You know, like as one of the lead Avengers. Um, I, I, I got the name. Do you want it? Yeah, just tell it to me. It's, it's Mike Coulter. Coulter? Yeah. Coulter? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I knew Colt was a part of it. Damn. Yeah. Colt McCoy, Texas quarterback. Um, No, but um, I think that Daredevil, obviously, is probably going to get precedent this December. I think Luke Cage follows him as like a lead Avenger type character. Jessica Jones, even, you know, could make a big move into the MCU. Punisher, I think that the character has more controversy than who plays him coming in. And But I, I don't necessarily agree with the hesitation to bring Punisher into the Disney model. Because it's a very different thing. The issue with Frank Castle is he's a murderer, and he he knows he is. He and he acts on it, but he does it for the right reasons. Is is there a right reason to murder? That's kind of what the Punisher character is. It's that question personified, right? And everybody's like, "Well, you can't bring that into the MCU. Not under Disney. It's not going to go well. You have to do it in a minimal sense if you're going to do it at all. You can't really flesh that out, or it's going to get too dark or too scary." Because if if you introduce him as you know a guy who murders, but for the right reasons, and then his three movie character arc is, you know what, I'm not going to murder people anymore. That's not the Punisher anymore. So like it's tough. It is tricky. I'm not saying it's not. But do you remember at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume One? Like I know this is completely different, but Drax looks at John C. Riley says, "What if I want to kill somebody? Can I do that or something like that?" Right? He goes, "No, that's uh, that's murder. That's you know the worst of all the crimes." <laughs> And the Drax is like, hmm, they're murderers too. You know, like, you know what I mean? Like, like obviously the Guardians of the Galaxy is such a different level of anti-hero, quote unquote, but it's been done. A dark twist on that is it out of the realm of possibility. So I'm not 100% sure, but all of this to say, it could easily be the same actor playing a different version of the character, not necessarily the Marvel Netflix side. If you want to head over to the direct.com, our boy Pierre over there has a fucking novel on how the MCU won't adapt any of the Marvel television properties, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., who, and the Marvel Netflix side. Um, it's a great read. Check it out. Um, what's a uh, what's the buzzword search for that, Liam? What do you remember the title? Why why Marvel Television isn't canon or, or something along those lines. And one more thing I will add to that layer before we get into the sizzle reel is the Agent Carter or Peggy Carter uh, Marvel, not assembled. What are those called? Uh, oh, uh, spotlight ones. Assembled. No. Le- Legends. Yeah. Legends. Legends. Her Legends episode ahead of What If dropped on Disney Plus, and it did not include a single frame of footage from the Agent Carter miniseries. So. That is just another layer as to why Marvel television uh, that we had seen before Disney Plus came around will not be canon in the MCU. That hurts for the uh, Marvel television stands out there. Um, shout out Adam Barnhart, good friend over at thecomicbook.com. He is very sad about that news, I'm sure. Um, one thing I do want to point out about Marvel Legends, we I, I feel like we've talked about it off air. and We've been meaning to talk about it on air. I love those things. Oh, yeah. I love them so much. In a weird way, I think Marvel Legends is a it's a showing on how important music and composition is 
to a story because they they do the exact same scenes we've seen a hundred times before, but they switch the tone on the music to tell a different story or at least a different perspective. And I love that. I can't wait to watch Peggy's. I also love that along with Peggy's, we got the Avengers Initiative and the Ravengers. The fact that they're doing an entire Legends episode on the Avengers Initiative, a concept within the MCU, so dope. I hope they keep doing more and more of that. I love it so much. Um, yeah, that's that's my quick thoughts on Marvel Legends. I got to watch this. What if hype is absolutely high, but what is also just absolutely stacked with anticipation is this week's sizzle reel. Let's hit it. We have our first look at Christian Bale as Gore the God Butcher in a recent set photo from Thor Love and Thunder. In the bright world of Thor, Gore is bringing a stained white to the table. While most of the costume is practical, it appears likely that it will be touched up with CGI in post-production. Speaking of CGI and recent promotional video for What If Marvel's new animated series releasing next week, fans got a look at the branching timelines from Loki's finale, leading to various episodes of the Marvel animated series. This opens the door for the events of Loki to allow the events of What If to potentially affect the events of the MCU's future everything's connected welcome to marvel sticking with marvel we got our best look yet at the mcu's miss marvel aman viani's costume is extremely comic accurate but the point of note is the purple energy force surrounding kamala's closed fist could this be replacing miss marvel's signature stretching abilities time will tell and finally, the latest trailer from Venom, Let There Be Carnage, offered new footage, familiar vibes, and concerningly absent release dates. All eyes turn to Venom 2 as we all fear another win of the race. Switching over to the worlds of DC, in a rare appearance of an MCU-DCEU hybrid story, Guardians of the Galaxy director James Gunn is officially being brought back for another DC movie following The Suicide Squad. Why would Warner Bros. be so excited to bring this guy back? Stay tuned to our review of The Suicide Squad later in the show to find out. And in an exclusive from thedirect.com, where was that, Liam? Thedirect.com. It has been reported that one of, if not the, main antagonists for The Flash will be Dark Flash, which will be an evil version of Barry Allen. Dark Flash will be inspired by Reverse Flash and will heavily borrow from the iconic Flashpoint storyline. And in some huge news from a galaxy far, far away, fan favorite bad guy Giancarlo Esposito confirmed he will be returning as Moff Gideon for season three of The Mandalorian filming later this year. And for more information on Spider-Man, The Batman, The Bad Batch, and more, check out thedirect.com. Liam, I'm in the back one more time for me, please. Sure thing, guy in the back. That is the direct.com. Before we dive into any of those juicy news stories, we do need to bring you some major developments in that ongoing Scarlett Johansson Disney lawsuit. It was re first reported on July 29th that Johansson filed a lawsuit against the Walt Disney Company, alleging that her contract was breached when Black Widow was given a hybrid release. Her agreement with Disney guaranteed her an exclusive theatrical release along with a percentage of the film's box office. Now, when this news broke, we both cast doubt, myself and Matt, 
on this being a lengthy story, assuming Disney would reach into Mickey Mouse's gigantic pockets and mop it up fairly quickly. Well, it appears to be anything but that. A Disney spokesperson has said that Johansson's lawsuit has, quote, no merit whatsoever and called out the actress for her, quote, disregard for the horrific effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. Reports surfaced shortly after Disney's response that Marvel president Kevin Feige is, quote, angry and embarrassed at how Disney is handling the situation and adamantly wants Disney to, quote, make this right with Johansson. Fast forward to this week, and Johansson is said to be shocked by the tone of Disney's response to her lawsuit. The most recent development in this ongoing story is the reasoning for the lawsuit. Yes, Johansson was frustrated by the breach of her contract, but she specifically decided to pursue action because, quote, there are no more planned cameos for Natasha Romanoff or MCU sequels. As much as has transpired this past week, this story is just beginning. With other frustrated actresses like Cruella's Emma Stone entertaining the possibility of filing their own lawsuits, we very well might be entering a paradigm shift in the entertainment industry in terms of contractual structures. Make sure to stay tuned to thedirect.com for further developments on this story. But for now, let's talk about the fun news. Matt, what stands out to you? That is um, a lot of stuff that we can pick from here. Let's start with uh, kind of the big release, the internet breaker of the week, uh, Venom, Let There Be Carnage. Second trailer, trailer number two. Uh, you know, I'm... I'm learning to understand the trailer game a little bit the teaser trailer is just kind of like hey here are some characters in this movie and the second trailer really tells us about the plot what's going on right um this trailer kind of stunk i think um i am not that excited for this movie i like the venom character i think i like the concept of the venom character i think more than i like what we've seen of him in you know live action obviously we got a really rough start with spider-man 3 toby mcguire um, not Tobey Maguire. I'm sorry. Uh, what's his name? What's that actor's name? Uh, Andrew Garfield. That 70. No, that 70 show. Ashton Kutcher. No, Eric. Oh, Corman. oh man. Keep talking. It's going to come to me. Anyway. Uh, so the Venom character. Is Topher Grace. Three. Topher Grace. I love him. <laughs> um, he's really good. I like him a lot. Um, rough start with him. The first Venom movie. Mixed reviews. I feel like made a shit ton of money. Some people really like it and find it endearing. I didn't hate it. I was just kind of bored. And the second one looks like a lot of the same, um, but it's the release date. That is not at the end of the mo- end of the trailer. That really has people up in arms. Liam, I want to hear your quick thoughts on the trailer and then we can dive into some release date talk. Yeah. I mean, it's not that I'm not excited for this movie. It's just more that there's so much else to look forward to come the fall. Um, and yeah, I'm not super crazy about Venom leading his own movie. I understand it's a popular IP and the first one made a ton of money. It just seems like a weird character to root for. Like, I know that there's anti-heroes and it's cool to be like, oh, they bend the rules, but they have like this charisma about them. Like Venom to me has always been like, yo, you eat people. And, yeah. and we're supposed to be like, yeah, you know, like, I don't know. It's just, Woo! it's always been strange to me. And on top of that, I despise uh, using the mirror image for bad guys. Shout out the Flash movie coming out next year. I think it's fine to do in the initial movie. We saw it in Iron Man. We saw it in Ant-Man. Uh, we even kind of saw it in Cap First Avenger because Red Skull is essentially what would happen. Definitely if saw it in Cap First Avenger. Went bad. <laughs> sure, but he doesn't look like him. You know what I mean? It's not like a mirror image I see. in that sense. But He looks top- like a Nazi. <laughs> yes, correct. But 
you know, Carnage, uh, I mean, Venom did that, the first one with Riot, which was a mirror image of Venom and another symbiote. And now this one, I understand Carnage is a popular character and he has the duality of, you know, also being Cletus Cassidy and the, the human behind the symbiote is, is the interesting part. And Woody Harrelson, I'm sure, is going to absolutely crush in that role. But at the same time, it's just hard to get crazy excited about this um, just because of the 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 mirror image bad guy situation i I have no doubt that this is going to really satisfy fans of the venom comics and the venom storylines because it does look very true to that and the it's weird to call it like a suit up scene but you know what i mean the uh the when the symbiote takes over yeah i I guess it's kind of a suit up scene it looks epic i'm not gonna lie but which one what, the, do you like the Venom one more or the Carnage one more? I like the Carnage one more because the different. Carnage one looks like it's it's both Cletus Cassidy and Carnage fusing together while Venom, more. it's like Ve- Venom is overtaking um, um, Tom Hardy in that sense. But yeah, uh, I feel like the main talking point here is the absent release date. I am a little concerned it's going to get delayed uh, either a couple of weeks or maybe a month. And the reasoning for that being is Sony doesn't have a fallback plan because they don't have a streaming service. And this is not a movie I could see them making a deal with Disney Plus to put on their streaming service. So Shang-Chi uh, marketing campaign is in full swing. I get ads for uh, Legend of the Ten Rings on my TikTok all the time. That movie's coming out September 3rd by hook or by crook. If you know things get a little wonky closer to that date, Disney will just say, hey, by the way, you know, six days before, a week before, it's going to be on Premiere Access as well, but you can still see it in theaters. However, Sony doesn't have that fallback plan. So saying it's releasing this fall instead of the September 17th scheduled date, a bit concerning. It's, I'm, I'm not ready to get up in arms yet. I'm not really sure how it's all going to go. I mean, it's COVID related, that's for sure. The success of the box office since the, you know, congruent streaming thing started has some sort of factor into it, I feel like. But um, I'm not ready to get up in arms, but you're right. I am, you know, kind of mentally prepared for that. It's not nearly as scary as uh, the last COVID delay scare, not scare, the last wave of COVID delays, just because we do have that Disney Plus fallback for Marvel, HBO Max for DC. Hey, I mean, I, 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 it's not ideal. I don't want it to be this way, but at least there are contingencies for most movies. I can't see any way Spider-Man No Way Home gets pushed. Um, it's, it's, it's just too big of a train at this point. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm sure that statement is going to come back and bite me in the ass when it does get pushed. <laughs> um, but, but it's just it, it. I feel like you know, with the MCU rolling and not stopping, Sony's going to have to cut a deal with somebody for Spider-Man No Way Home because there's just too many things relying on that movie moving forward. So we'll, we'll keep everybody updated as it goes along. As far as Venom two, um, we'll review it. That's for damn sure. We, we will talk about it. That's going to happen. Um, we'll see. I don't know. It's a weird vibe in that movie. Liam, uh, speaking of weird vibes, speaking of concern from fans, Miss Marvel, um, mm. got our first real look at the suit, not a set photo, not a behind the scenes situation. This is a promotional image of Amon Biani in the new suit. I think the suit looks dope. It's shiny. It looks like a kid would like it. Not necessarily like a kid made it, but it looks like a kid would think it's really cool, which I like a lot because that's who Kamala Khan is. She's a kid. She's a fan um, at heart. Um, but uh, the uh, purple energy thing, man, um, for those who don't know, you know quick, quick update, uh, Kamala Khan, Miss Marvel, 
is an is an inhuman and a huge Carol Danvers fan. That's why she's called Miss Marvel. But she doesn't have any Captain Marvel like powers. Her powers are more uh, likened to Reed Richards of the Fantastic Four, Mr. Fantastic. She and he can stretch her body at lengths unheard of, like a big rubber band situation. Um, in the comics a lot, she does like a Spider-Man swing with her stretched out arm. And uh, she also has embeggen powers that allows her to kind of giant man and grow at a very large scale and fuck people up with that. Um, her signature pose really is her normal body with one enlarged fist due to her stretchy rubber band kind of powers. But in this, in this photo, she's holding up her fist like her signature pose, but surrounding her hand is a purple energy field. Um, and it's somewhat shaped like a fist. So basically the idea that people jump to right away is that the MCU is going to go away from the stretchy powers, just go away from the elastic side of things and maybe use like an energy projection for her to extend her limbs um, in the same kind of way, like a rubber band thing, um, like a, like a suit, an energy suit almost that allows her to do the same powers, but it's not her actual hand growing and stretching and becoming a weapon. It's an energy propulsion. Uh, Liam, just quick thoughts on that, on the whole idea of switching up the powers. It's going to piss a lot of people off if it happens, but that doesn't mean it still can't be cool and work out within the canon MCU. So I just want to say poor DC, because in 2022, we already talked at length about how Black Panther 2's potential involvement of Namor is going to overshadow Aquaman 2 when that comes out six months after and people go, oh, Aquaman 2 is just copying Black Panther. If this is the situation, that poor Green Lantern core HBO Max series, because that's that's Green Lantern, what you just kind of described, mm -hmm. of energy fields morphing into a giant hand or, or a weapon of some sorts. So I, I don't know how I, how I feel about potentially switching up her powers um, specifically because Kamala Khan seems to be such a popular character in the comics right now. I understand if she was kind of an unknown, kind not so much that Shang-Chi was an unknown, but, you know, lesser known, and they brought him into the movies, and now all of a sudden he, if they want to, like, play with his powers a bit, it's like, okay, that's fair. You got to adapt him to the big screen. But you've mentioned time and time again on this podcast you know, Kamala Khan's having a moment right now. She was the star of Marvel Comics for the past couple of years. She was the star of the Avengers video game this past year. And now she's getting her own streaming series, whether that be this fall or delayed until 2022, we shall see. But switching up her powers when she's becoming such a recognizable IP feels a little weird to me. And I think I worry that this is not because they want to distinguish her from Reed Richards, who is going to debut in the MCU eventually, but because they want to assimilate her more with Carol Danvers, with Monica Rambeau. We know she's technically the third female lead of Captain Marvel 2, now that that's titled The Marvels. So changing up her powers to be more akin to two other people concerns me because this is a character that I feel like should be able to stand out on her own. She doesn't necessarily need to be a Captain Marvel copycat in that sense. Yeah, I understand what you're saying, but I also understand the move. It's it's so weird because, like, you're right. Like, if this was kind of a old school unknown character where, like, for example, Sylvie. Sylvie is a combination of Lady Loki, Enchantress, and, you know, other Enchantress, Enchantress too. 
Sylvie. Um, and, you know, we praised Marvel for combining different qualities of all of those characters' powers to create kind of a new hybrid character to better fit the story. And I get that. And I get the, I get that decision. And I can understand this decision to make her um, stretchy powers and her Embegan powers um, more energy-focused. Carol Danvers is a walking, talking photon blast. Uh, Monica Rambo. We don't know a lot about her powers yet, but she seems to be able to read and adapt to various kinds of energy. Um, and I'm so excited to see that fleshed out. It's going to be so dope. Um, and having um, Amon Viani's uh, Kamala Khan be, you know, kind of an energy focused, uh, stretchy person. I don't even know the best way to say it. I understand how that fits within the story. I get that. But the thing is, like, it's a fine line I like to walk in my head because I hate when people say that something needs to be different in a movie because it should be, you know, the comics say this, so this should be different in this movie. I don't like that because it's so limiting. Like if we have to follow every single rule, the comics have ever built, then, you know, we're never going to get anything unique in live action. However, this is like you said, a character at the forefront of everybody's mind. She's the young Avenger in comics right now. Everybody loves this character. We're all excited. Like, Shang-Chi, like nobody was like campaigning for the Shang-Chi movie hard on the internet. You know what I mean? We're excited that it's happening. And that's what Marvel does best. It brings characters, the Eternals. Nobody was like, hey, I need my Eternals movie <laughs> right now. People have wanted live action Kamala Khan for years. So to change her core powers like this, it's going to be interesting. But I think an optimistic way to look at it. I, I think the character can still be interesting. I think the power set can really be a cool way to tie her in with the energy focus Captain Marvel's around her. Um, but, you know, you can just optimistically say, I like the MCU's uh, Kamala Khan power set. I prefer the comic one. And it's just, it might, it might just be an inherent, the comic uh, Kamala Khan is always better than the MCU one because they had to change the power set for whatever reason. It is a Disney Plus show. And we have seen what cheap, uh, not cheap, we can see what lower budget, lower animation budgets can do to that stretchy look. You know, we've seen that not go well in movies past. So maybe they're trying to avoid that as well. Liam, do you have any other Marvel news you want to talk about? Real or... quick, I, I do want to argue that even though, you know, Disney Plus by no means are these cheap budgets, what we've seen so far with Wanda, Falcon, and Loki. However, those are three established characters that they know eyeballs were going to get brought onto the streaming service. Kamala Khan is the first time we're introducing a brand new character in that elusive club, you know, never hinted at, mentioned before her debut movie. Characters like Ant-Man, The Guardians, Iron Man, Shang-Chi in September. Her being a brand new IP, sure, they're not going to lose money on Disney Plus because regardless of whether you watch Miss Marvel or not, you're still paying seven bucks a month for the streaming service. In that vein, though, I don't know how much they'd want to commit a big $150, $200 million budget to a character that's unproven yet. So in that sense, even though we have seen big budgets on Disney Plus before, I wouldn't be surprised if they did want to slash a big chunk of the money they dedicate to this movie because Kamala Khan is unproven in the MCU so far as a drawing power. You mentioned other MCU stories to talk about. We'd be remiss if we did not mention Gore the God Butcher. Matt, I'm stoked. The I'm set stoked. photos look dope. I mm -hmm. love that it's mostly practical because an actor like Christian Bale, I understand major names like James Spader and Josh Brolin get into the MCU and they do mocap roles and it doesn't necessarily take away 
uh, from their performances that they're not seeing in live action. But someone like Christian Bale, I feel like, is in a whole nother ballgame. This is an Academy Award winner, I think. Yeah, he's been at least nominated many times, that's for sure. Christian Bale getting to show face in this movie, even though he is covered in prosthetics and likely will be touched up in CGI, I think is a giant, giant win for Thor Love and Thunder. My only concern is as scary and intimidating as a character like this looks, I can already see the the jokes now. And I, I know, I know, it's not, it's that's not my that's not my Thor Ragnarok bias uh coming in. It's just my my uh commentary on Taika Watiti as a filmmaker. Like he's great and I I love the tone he brings to these films. But from the set photos so far, I'm like so scared. I'm like, oh my god, Gore the God Butcher. It's in his name. He butchers gods. And I worry that he's going to be the butt end of a joke by act two. Were you not scared of Hela? No, not at all. Really? Not for a she single scared frame. The sh- she was dope, man. She could. I'm trying to think of like who could beat Hela in a one-on-one fight. Like straight up. Surter. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> fire, fire God. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Anybody else? Though? Like, um, Gore the God Butcher, I think, is going to be an awesome character. Um, I haven't read the uh, the Thor comics that align with this character. It, I think it's actually a recent run. If I if I'm remembering correctly, I could be completely wrong, but if I'm remembering correctly, um, it's like a 2012 run of Thor where Gore the God Butcher is kind of running shit. You know, as far as like the antagonist, and it really brought the character um, into the uh, zeitgeist a little bit. So I'm excited for this character. I'm excited that um, Christian Bale is getting ability to play him i liked your note on how the practical sense allows christian bale to act a little bit um i think of uh, harry potter right away uh it's uh voldemort ralph Fiennes' performance really showed through in those last few harry potter movies and i think uh, we're gonna get a similar vibe here with the you know the flat pale face kind of villain thing um i i, I just can't wait to see what this movie's about because i really don't know the jane foster thing i think is more interesting than anything happening in this movie even the guardian stuff which is big um so um it'll be interesting it's exciting that christian bale is committing in this kind of way you know what i mean he's you know he's putting on the paint he's putting on the what looks like a uh a morph suit what are those called you wearing my high school basketball games the uh all colored uh suits morph suit. i'm always morph suit okay yeah yeah yeah. i got that right go me um so yeah i'm excited to see what goes on there and uh you know there's just so many marvel things coming up here that you know get me excited about you know you know i i like seeing some set photos from thor 4 i like seeing set photos from miss marvel but it's going to be interesting once these really do start coming a month or two behind each other you know we're getting shang chi in a month liam you know, like, like it's coming in four weeks. And then after that, it's eight weeks to Eternals and Spider-Man. And then 2022 hits like a ton of bricks. So it's so exciting to see these movies get to the end of their production. Um, so uh, do we need to talk about The Flash? You already kind of talked about it a little bit. Uh, John Carlos Rosito, very exciting. I feel let's, like we let's touch on The Flash just, just a little okay. bit. Just a okay. little bit. Only because... I, I don't like <laughs> I don't like the whole Dark Flash thing. I know, I know. We want to be DC fanboys. And don't worry, we're going to be DC fanboys for probably an hour later on in this show. But <laughs> Dark Flash, a little, a little frustrating because I, I love the character of Reverse Flash. I think he is phenomenally portrayed, at least in season one of the CW TV show. They have 
they have milked that property dry over Jesus. on the CW because, oh, my God, I've, my brother still watches it. And occasionally I'll pop down for a couple minutes of an episode. And I'm like, dude, how is this thing still on the air? How have they not run out of Flash villains for 23 episode seasons, mind you? But regardless, uh, the movie itself, uh, I, I have a lot I'm looking forward to. Michael Keaton, Ben Affleck, Supergirl, uh, uh, not Ezra Miller, but Grant Gustin's Flash cameoing in, in one way or the other. But I just can't stand the copycat villains. And I know Reverse Flash is essentially a copycat villain because literally it's in the name, Reverse Flash. But at least, you know, he has his own face. He has his own identity. Eobard Thawne is, is his own man. Um, so it's just a little frustrating. But, you know, who am I to judge it now? It might be epic when the movie comes out. Can I pitch um, the situation surrounding Dark Flash? Yeah. Uh, that might get you a little more excited. Please do. Barry Allen, Ezra Miller, a character I like, a character you don't. So I like that contrast we have because I get why you don't like him. And I think you can understand why I do like him. Yeah. He's kitschy. Um, you know, him and Ben Affleck's Batman, obviously a great relationship. It's a mentor mentee thing, fleshed out very well in the Justice League. Snyder Cut, not so much in the Justice League. Um, but so they know each other, they're doing things. Why is Michael Keaton's Batman involved? Maybe. Maybe he had a run-in with a Barry Allen from his universe that wasn't so great, that wasn't a mentee of his, who was actually an adversary. And then after whatever multiversal thing happens where Batman meets Batman, Bruce Wayne meets Bruce Wayne, Barry Allen comes walking in and Michael Keaton's like, hey, you got to kill that kid because let me tell you about this Barry Allen I know back where I'm from and vis-a-vis Dark Flash. If that's the case and he's played by a different actor and it's not Ezra Miller pulling double duty, I'm a lot more in. But the idea of Ezra right. Miller being both the hero and antagonist, which they actually did in a previous season of the CW Flash, and it was not good. You know, that's where I'm a little not sold. Ezra Miller can probably play the dark, scary, brooding character way better than Grant Gustin, if I had to guess. I, I don't know a ton about Grant Gustin, but I do know Ezra Miller. Like That's... That was kind of his thing before he got Flash was, you know, the emo kind of, you know, dark kid. You know what I'm saying? Like, that is a role he plays and plays well, I think. I mean, I don't like those new Harry Potter movies, the Fantastic Beast ones, but he does play that role well in those movies. This is true. But if he's going to come from Michael Keaton's universe, this is the last thing I'll say on that. He's got to be like Michael Keaton's age, you would imagine, right? So Interesting. So I'm saying if Batman in Ezra's universe is Ben Affleck, Michael Keaton being Batman in his universe would make it seem like a, a different actor would play the Flash. Counterpoint, is this movie already amazing just because Michael Keaton's going to be in it? Kind of. <laughs> I mean, I've Kinda, already bought my right? ticket for that reason, so thank you. I'm going to love whatever Michael Keaton does in this movie. Yes. yes. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you for bringing the optimism back. It's not, it's not that I'm not, you know, I'm panning DC movies. It's more just like, there's a lot of cause for concern because we've been let down in the past regardless. Um, but anyways, we do have a lot of DC praise to get into, but before we get into that praise, we got what if coming out next Wednesday, Matt, and I am stoked through the roof for this show. Some of our writers have already seen the first three episodes and they have a lot of praise to give. And one of our writers, Pam Gores, the managing editor of the direct.com, even had the opportunity to sit down with the director, Brian Andrews, and the head writer, AC Bradley, to talk all things what if. So before we talk all about the Suicide Squad, let's get into that interview. Pam, take it away. 
and ask yourself the question, what if? So I'm Pamela Gores with The Direct, and I'm joined today by none other than head writer AC Bradley and director Brian Andrews of Marvel Studios' What If? Guys, uh, thank you for chatting with me today. I saw the first couple episodes, and this is such a fun and visually beautiful show. So congratulations on finally being able to show it to the rest of the world. Oh, thank you so much. So AC, I want to start with you in the writer's room. So with anything being possible in the MCU, as the concept of this show pretty much proves, how did you set up multiversal heroes like Haley Atwell's Captain Carter, who's already been rumored to appear in Doctor Strange 2 next year, with the possibility of them down the line taking the jump from animation to live action? When we started What If, it was 2018. Animation is a medium of patience. Mm -hmm. So you don't start looking at how it's going to connect into movies five years later. Maybe Kevin does. Kevin is (laughs) a brilliant man. If that man had decided he wanted to study astrophysics, he'd be leading the Mars mission. He's that kind of man. when it came to creating Captain Carter, we knew we wanted Peggy Carter as the hero the first episode. And my job was to find, not the what if she got the serum, but how do we get there? What's the character moment that brings us there? Mm-hmm. And watching, rewatching the first Avenger, there's a moment, and this happens in the very beginning of first Avenger, very beginning of our pilot, where Dr. Erskine says, would you be more comfortable in the booth? And in our episode, she goes, no, I'll stay in the room because a woman staying in the room is how we change the world. It's a powerful statement in the 1940s and damn it, it's a very powerful statement in 2021. So from there, we started looking at like, how would the world change? What would it be like and how wouldn't it change with a woman becoming the first real hero? Would they let her lead men into battle or would she have to yet again raise her voice and say, I deserve this, I earn this, I can do it. Either join me or get out of my way. I love Captain Carter and Haley Atwell. (laughs) Haley Atwell could play Ben Grimm in the Fantastic Four and be the right choice. She is amazing. So I hope she appears in more uh, MCU movies and TV shows because I'll be the first one watching. I agree. That's what you said is so impactful and I completely agree there. Um, Brian, jumping over to you, um, I wonder if you could touch on, since you've been a storyboard artist for Marvel Studios for a very long time now, were there any concepts you've seen or worked on over the years that made their way into What If? Because it kind of seems like it'd be the perfect place for them. You know, it's funny. Um, There's definitely, you know, when it comes to certain bits of like business, when it comes to action and stuff, um, some of it some of the cool is can be interchangeable to a certain degree um and, and and some of it not so much and but throughout the movies there's a number of things that just end up on the floor right it just doesn't get used but there's like really cool stuff waiting there so what if did give me an opportunity to like you know brush off some of the old things and be like oh here's some stuff that was kind of neat and it kind of could work you know action wise you know because it's like okay choreographing the action is you know it's like okay well what, what are we going to do push the punch blah, 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 blah. You have, the, you have the character inspiring you, you have the moment, you know, and the emotional intent inspiring you that led to that thing, but there's still the business of like this move into the next move, making mm-hmm. sure it's entertaining. And there's a ton of Captain America stuff that I had done over all the years that just never quite got in there. And mm-hmm. I was like, ha ha, 
because now we have Captain Carter and she's got the shield. There's a lot of stuff ready to go. And because she's so badass, it has nothing to do with it. Is it a man doing it, a woman doing it? No, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a badass human punching, punching Nazis or doing whatever, you know, like whatever it needs to be. And, and, and the moves are the moves and the moves are visual, visu- visually uh, uh, invigorating and they should be on the screen and it helps the moment. So the, some of that I was able to be like, boop, 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 add them in with a bunch of extra brand new stuff too. So, so that was kind of fun. So yeah, there is some old stuff from left, some, some, and I don't even call them leftovers. They're not, they're just, they're just unused because of whatever the live action constraints were, but in animation, haha, there's nothing holding us back. So we can totally do it, you know? So, so yeah, we got, we got some things in there that were, that were pretty cool. <laughs> All right. I completely agree. When I was watching that first episode, I, I literally said, oh, wow. Like Steve wasn't doing this kind of stuff. So definitely yeah. you got that in there. And, and not to take anything away from Captain Carter, there's definitely some things that are absolutely purely only Captain Carter. Like, like there, there's the, in, in the first episode, there's the montage uh, of her and, you know, others doing cool stuff. All that was purely bespoke, purely for for Haley, just because, you know, Kevin Carr is going to be amazing. And here's what I'm going to do. Boom. You know what I mean? So none of that was like left over at all. That was all brand spanking new just for the illustrious Haley Atwell, who we who we love and admire so much. I love that. Well, guys, thank you so much for chatting with me a little bit today. Once again, congratulations on the show. It's amazing. Cannot wait to see the rest of it in future seasons. Thank you so much again. Thank you. Thank you. I love your shirt. Thank you. <laughs> I'm a superhero! I do not Are you in or out? Ladies and gentlemen, the DCEU is back. James Gunn has delivered the Suicide Squad. It is uh, it is a movie that is very different than anything else we've seen in the DCEU. Some would say it's very different than anything else we've seen in comic book movies ever. We are going to dive into everything that we think about this movie is a full-on review. We're going to talk about the story. We're going to talk about, uh, you know, the different characters we like. We're going to talk about the heart of the movie, the action of the movie, this, that, the other. And then afterwards, after this review, we are going to be drafting our favorite characters from the Suicide Squad with with special guest comicbook.com's Chris Killian. So if you're if we're going through this review and you're sitting there saying, why aren't they talking about Peacemaker? Why aren't they talking about... Uh, King Shark, etc. We're saving that for the draft. We'll dive into each of our favorite characters at length. Liam, your overall spoiler-free thoughts for James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. My spoiler-free thoughts begin with the 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 social reaction buzzword that I've been putting out there. Uh, this movie is a sadistic home run. I cannot believe the lengths they went to in this movie. The the gore is there, the jokes are there, the crude humor is there. It is James Gunn unlocked. It's it's unbelievable. It's everything that we got. Uh, we've expected from James Gunn with his Guardians movies, but taken to another level because he literally had no limitations here whatsoever in terms of the lengths he could go, in terms of the jokes he could tell, in terms of the action he could showcase. There's a lot of heart in this movie, a lot of characters that I had no business caring for walking in that I walked out saying, you know, I wonder what a spinoff featuring a character named Ratcatcher 2 would look like because here we are and it's unbelievable what Gunn was able to do with this IP and I can't wait to talk about specifics but overall my initial thoughts I'm overjoyed man I'm overjoyed with this movie uh yeah man um it's hard to put to words how crazy it is that this movie exists you know what I mean 
and and you know tons of praise coming for this one it's not perfect i'll say that off the top it's not perfect i want to address the plot and the story and the why to everything that is happening because if you focus on those things it's okay but there really isn't anything that's special or going to blow your mind i say that to say this when i look at every other aspect of the movie the characters, the action, the visuals, all the way through the dialogue and the tone of the whole thing. All of those facets and factors of this movie have something special that blew my fucking mind. I had such an amazing time with this one because for whatever reason, I truly believe I am the target audience for the Suicide Squad. <laughs> like they built this movie for me to enjoy in a lot <laughs> of ways. Um, it's weird. Multiple times throughout this movie, I noticed something that reminded me of something that I love most about popcorn flicks, which is exactly what this is, the quintessential popcorn flick. And they, they picked, for whatever reason, there were so many different qualities that reminded me of other popcorn flicks that I really like. And if I can go through the list really quick, the falling in love with random characters I've never heard of. That's why I love Guardians of the Galaxy. The use of the R rating with comedy and blood and all that stuff. That's why I love Deadpool. The relentless action sequences that constantly go up and top each other and just outperform everything that came before it. That's why I love the Fast and Furious. You know what I mean? The kaiju stuff that's big and scary and made me really feel like the world was about to end. That's why I love Godzilla versus Kong. And finally, the tone, committing to what it is, not trying to be something more, not trying to be something less. That's why I love James Gunn. This dude set out to make the most outrageous and over-the-top comic book movie ever made, and he did it. I think I can look at this movie kind of through two eyes, right? I can look at it critically and understand it isn't the best comic book movie of all time, but it's a damn good one. Or I can look at, I can look at this movie recognizing its accomplishments, you know, recognizing the achievement of this movie. What is this going to do for the comic book movie genre? What is the bar for popcorn movies everywhere? moving forward how much fun are people gonna have watching this movie i can't i i can't even fathom how many people are just gonna say man i had fun watching this movie so because of those things i can deem this an instant classic um from a quality standpoint i'm not saying it's like the greatest comic book movie i've seen in the past few years or whatever instant classic because it did what it did how it did it i cannot wait to watch this thing again I love it. Wow. So eloquently put. And, yeah. and I, I wrote it like, down. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was going to say, if that was off the dome, you, you're, you're in another stratosphere. But, you know, mm. bravo there. And for that reason, I feel like it's only appropriate to bring it back, Matt. It's been, been a minute. minute. It's been a minute. Spoilers, 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 fifth 2021 the year of our lord 2021 so many things to go over with this movie uh, like i said we're going to be taking a deep dive into the characters in our draft following this review with chris killian so keep an eye out for that liam let's start at the beginning with the story of the suicide squad task force x uh, you know, invading Corto Maltese, finding Starro, all that stuff. This is straight up 
a remake of 2016 Suicide Squad. Yep. I mean, from a story (laughs) standpoint, it is straight up the exact same movie, but this time James Gunn did it. You know what I'm saying? So um, while I appreciate that, it does kind of like, I don't know, watered down is not the right word, but like, like I said, like I said at the top, you're not going to be amazed by any story beats here, but um, I do appreciate how they handled it, Liam. They, they did the Iron Man 2 thing where, hey, it's me. I'm here. Get over it. They, they basically, the first 20 minutes is, hey, you know the drill. You're in jail. We're going to put a bomb in your head. Have you go get the thing. And if you don't do it, we're going to blow your head off. And, and I'm like, okay, that's the movie. Then they introduce a slew of characters that immediately die. And I'm sitting there like, oh my God, this is how they're doing this. Like, you know, they're just gonna they're just gonna jump right in like they're halfway through the first movie and go from there. And then boom, they send us back uh, a few days to meet the Bravo team of the Suicide Squad that we'll end up spending the rest of the movie with. Liam, from the story standpoint, Task Force X, the mission, etc. Did anything stand out? Did you like how it was just kind of a remake of it and how they handled it? All that stuff. So not to be a negative Nancy off the top, but I thought the story was the weakest part of this movie. I, I thought it's shown with the characters, with the relationships, with the emotion, the heart, the personal subplots that were going on were more intriguing than the bigger narrative. And a lot of that is because there was no real surprise factor or intrigue factor. As soon as it was apparent that you're going to, to a location, bomb in your head, you disobey me, we blow up your head. And to show that we're being serious, a uh, certain one of you is going to get the button pressed on you. It was with that weird rope guy, Slipknot, in 2016. They yeah. blew up his head because he tried to escape. And this time with, uh, uh, what's Savant. his name? Savant. Played, played by, by Michael Rooker. Yep. Good friend of James Gunn. Uh, we love him as Yondu in the MCU. He gets the bomb blown up immediately. And it felt very rehashing uh, of the 2016 plot. But at the same time, opening this movie, killing off... Pete Davidson, Captain Boomerang, uh, the Javelin guy. It was, holy shit, we're really yeah. just just knocking heads right now, right off the bat, and it didn't stop there. We got a lot more deaths later in the movie. But yeah, the story, uh, even though it was repetitive, it was still bold because of the amount of, of permanence they were willing to take with slashing off characters right off the bat. But yeah, the these narrative structure... Uh, it was very similar to 2016 Suicide Squad, but I can't stress this enough. And I think we said it either in last week's episode or the primer. I think the concept of the Suicide Squad works as just an anthology picture for the rest of time, just like the Purge movie. Uh, the Purge movies are all, you know, anthologies with the same concept. Crime is legal for t- uh, 12 hours. Chaos ensues. The Suicide Squad can work for the next 10 to 15 years with a different ensemble, a couple repeat characters, same exact thing. Bomb in your head, go complete a mission. You disobey, you die. Make those missions different. Sign me up every time. Yeah, it's... um. It's it's and I was okay with it. Like like you said, the weakest point in this movie. I don't think it's bad though. No. You know, I think I think it has a really low ceiling because it is a straight up rehash. But I appreciate the way they went about it. You know what I mean? They spent the first twenty minutes of this movie hammering it home that like, hey, this is just going to be the same thing again. And and they use comedy and quick cuts and all these ridiculous characters showing ridiculous powers to drive home that that's the case. But then they flipped the switch emotionally when they brought us back to Idris Elba in the jail cell. 
You know what I mean? So um, I, I, I like how they handled it because it did a couple, it was efficient. You know, that first 20 minutes, the beach scene, it was efficient in the sense that one, it explained everything. Two, it explained how ridiculous it is that this movie exists the way it does. And three, it, you know, just showed the tone like, hey, this is going to be funny. This is going to be bloody. This is going to be intense, you know, as far as like, you know, where we're at and stuff. And they, I think they killed it on all those fronts. I don't think they set out to do anything incredible with the plot of this movie, especially in the first 20 minutes. But I think what they set out to do, they nailed. The comedy in the first 20 minutes is fantastic. It's some of the best. I mean, I'm telling you, when uh, Nathan Fillion, TDK, when he's got his detached arms out there, and the arms are out there doing work and like fighting people off, you know, as separate arms. And then you see Nathan Philly in the back, just like, uh, yeah, I got you. Yeah. That that was fucking hilarious, man. Like I was rolling, laughing at that. And then they killed him off right away. It was it it and it also did something that DCEU movies have trouble doing: set stakes, real stakes. Like obviously, you know, the the tagline of this movie in a lot of ways was "Don't fall in love with anybody. Anybody can get it." Right. To kill off so many of those disposable characters at the beginning drove that home. Then Jai Courtney died, the boomerang. Uh, you know, he he was he was one that, you know, felt a little more safe to get through this movie than others. You know, he still could have gotten it, but he got it along with all the disposable guys. Holy shit. And then Michael Rucker, who they purposely focused on in that first 20 minutes, he didn't just die. He got the Amanda Waller treatment. So that that. A, a next level threat you know it's not just you can get shot out in the field we can also blow your head off it's that anybody can get a movie and they did a good job setting that up in a silly way and then they almost like restarted the movie with Idris Elba which I appreciated the creative take on a rehash story yeah I, I absolutely love everything you said there and as you said a creative take on a rehash story the narrative structure of playing around with okay we start at point b and then we're going to flash back to point A and then catch you up to point B and then move right. the story forward. And on top of that, once we got our core team, we hopped around from location to location. And, okay, we got from point B to point C with this squad of people. Now we're going to get from point B to point C with this squad of people. And everyone's going to come together. And it sounds confusing as I explain it, but it's done so simply in the movie, which I think is just a testament to James Gunn as a storyteller. Yeah. And, and they do it with big text on screen a lot, too. You know I love mean? Like, that. Love that was awesome. the way they did that. That was awesome. And, and again, like, I think that what that kind of storytelling does, does put a ceiling on how, quote, good this movie could be. But it allows you to have even more fun with the movie you're watching. Like, I, I don't mean to say this in a negative way. You don't have to think too hard about this movie you no. can focus on the emotional relationships you can focus on the action sequences you can focus on the you know this the grand scheme of these characters more because it is a simplistic plot which i appreciate but um you know like we said creative twists on a rehash plot right doesn't get much more creative than a giant mind controlling starfish on a rogue <laughs> island that hates america you know starro corto maltese uh, it's, it's the weapon, <laughs> the weapon of the world, I guess. Uh, you know, uh, the whole Starro thing, I kind of mentioned it earlier. Terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. It was scary. Starro was, um, he, and, and it had levels of scary too. The idea of it, alien life form, uh, project starfish, uh, you know, giant, uh, silo holding him up. That's scary. When he actually breaks out and we see this Godzilla starfish 
stomping on buildings, hurting people, all that stuff. That's scary. But Liam, the mind control starfish thing. Haunting. Haunting. I was terrified. I, I, I was legitimately like fluttery scared. The visuals were disgusting. The the idea of it is scary. When those people got taken over and got zombified, holy shit. The Game of Thrones moment where everybody got up, holy hell, all that stuff. What did you think of the mind control starfish stuff? Because I, me personally, I was legitimately scared of it, which I didn't expect to be. I was also absolutely terrified because of how many were, were coming out. Like when Starro, mm. when Starro breaks out of the cell and just lifts up one of the limbs and all of a sudden a bunch of mini starfish fly out. I'm like, this is an insurmountable threat. How do you defeat this? Like, what the hell? And I I turned to my friend when I was in the theater and I was like, okay, if there's this many mind control, mindless drones out there in order to defeat them all at once, they're going to do the Chitauri thing, which is as soon as the mothership goes down, Starro goes down, the rest of them fall. So even though that was a tad, (laughs) tad, tad predictable, um, it was still, it doesn't take away from how terrifying it was. And the, the backstory, the experimentation, oh. the fact that we don't see the main bad guy, which is Starro in his full glory until the very end of the movie. I don't even want to say the third act. We don't really see Starro break out until the tail end of the third act. And I think keeping that mystery, it's the, it's the jaws effect, right? Everyone always mm-hmm. praises jaws for, we don't see the shark until the very end. And even though that was supposed to be uh, credit to a limitation on budget, you know, the, the shark didn't look very, didn't look good enough as an animatronic that they didn't want to overuse it. They want to conceal it until they could make it perfect. It was a blessing in disguise because not showing the shark until the very end made everyone fear it because when you don't see the threat, you as an audience member are just that much more scared. Mm-hmm. Only seeing glimpses of Starro and seeing the giant eye pop up and seeing a giant hand hit a glass ceiling, once it finally breaks out, even though we saw it in promotional material, it still shocked me to a degree of, here's the guy that they've been building up for you know about two hours. Now we see him in full glory and I'm scared for our disposable task force. Because at the end of the day, even though that's Idris Elba, and even though that is David Dasmalchian, I think I said it correctly, they're playing Polka Dot Man and Bloodsport, and there is no DCEU future for either of them if James Gunn feels like killing them off. Obviously, Harley Quinn is a little more safe, but once we got down to our final team, I was genuinely terrified. And on top of that, Peacemaker, even though I was like, he's the only one that saved Black Widow. Uh, he's the only one that saved series effects. The Black Widow stuff started to seep into my mind of, oh, man, that might be a prequel. And the knows, exact same thing. who knows what happens going forward. So the unpredictability, once the threat that they've been building up for two hours was introduced, I thought was one of the highlights of this movie. And hell, I mean, uh, Polka Dot Man, one of the standout characters of the movie, I feel like, you know, a part of the main core. You know, it it started with like 12 different characters. It dwindled down to a, a main core of five or six quickly. Um, Polka Dot Man was one of them, and he was great. He didn't just die in the third act. It was like a nothing death. You know, I'm a superhero. Smash. Like, like he died like everybody on the beach died. So, like, they held that thread all the way through. And it provided a lot of shock value. I, I don't want to stay on Starro too much, but like the, the Kaijos, the Kaiju giant monster stuff was scary. The, the little mind control starfish, the, the experimentation scene you're talking about, when they got graphic as hell with that thing attaching itself to people's faces, 
it was disgusting, dude. Like I was uncomfortable in the best way. And I, I just appreciate how ridiculous it was. Like I mentioned fast and furious earlier, what makes those movies not laugh out loud, funny, but I laugh and giggle while watching them in excitement is because every time they do something ridiculous, the next scene, it's even more ridiculous. And now there's magnets and now we're in space and now we're catching cars with our bare hands, all that stuff. Right. They did that in this movie. And I think the little starfish were, they they went there. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like they got as gross and like saw like as they could have. And I think they fucking crushed it. But the difference between this and Fast and Furious is this one established stakes. You know, Fast and yeah, Furious, you know, you know no one is going to die. They're going to keep those characters around. This one, everyone's right. expendable. And that's that's a huge testament to even though it is ridiculous, there's, there's investment behind it because you know there's a real chance and a likelihood that characters aren't going to make it out alive. Commitment to the ridiculous is so endearing to me. I like that. I like that in movies like this. Um, real last little story point. The big twist. Amanda Waller was up to no good all along. Can you believe what? it? What? No Can way. Can you believe it? Um, Viola Davis, you crush it, man. You're a badass. Uh, you're awesome in this role. Continue to play it forever. Um, the big twist, Liam. I'm not going to say I saw it coming, but I wasn't at all shocked when America was behind Starro the whole time. Uh, and uh, uh, Viola Davis really just wanted them to get in there and destroy incriminating evidence, not Starro at all. Uh, Peacemaker being a part of it was, I think, the twist. You know, like I, I could see Amanda Waller pulling that move, using Peacemaker to do it. The heel turn for Peacemaker was a quick one, but I... I think it played off really well. You know, we'll talk about John Cena more here in a little bit, but I think that he flipped the switch there for me that I really appreciated. Uh, you know, did the big twist hit you in any sort of way, or were you just excited for the action sequences that followed because of it? The Cena heel turn did surprise me specifically because this is a guy who played a baby face for 15 years of his wrestling career, and he has now been a heel twice this summer, Fast and Furious and Suicide Squad. Kind of crazy. It, it was, uh, I could have seen Viola Davis being behind, you know, some stuff. I didn't piece it together immediately because that kind of tends to happen with movies with me, even though uh, I don't know what it is about a theater ambiance. It's I all of a sudden forget all the marketing material and yeah. I just am immersed in the movie and yeah. I'm not necessarily trying to piece stuff together as I would be on my couch watching a streaming show. I think it's just being in being in an environment with a bunch of other people and it's like your brain is kind of shut off because you're just enjoying the movie and shoveling popcorn into your face but John Cena specifically being involved at such an intriguing layer going forward because now all of a sudden Peacemaker isn't just another character on the Suicide Squad and oh he's getting a spin-off series sure it'll be fun now this dude has layers and I want to see those layers fleshed out and on layers. top of that shout out uh, Sam Hargrave on the direct.com he reached out to me the other day because he was working on a, an article. I, I, it'll probably be live on the site come this episode airing, but talking about the future of Peacemaker and where he goes. And he mentioned, he was just asking me about anything I remember about the character, anything that I want to see explored. And I said, I don't remember hearing why he was in prison. Part of me wonders if he was just in prison as a front, if Viola Davis planted him in there and he's always been a, a right-hand man from the jump because we see him in a prison jumpsuit I don't ever remember hearing why specifically he was in prison. Sure, he explains that I, I just want peace. I don't care how many men, women, and children I got to kill to get it. 
Okay. You know, that's a very vague answer of that he has killed a lot of people. But what specific incident put him in jail? Part of me thinks that there never was one. That's an awesome take. I'm excited to see Peacemaker moving forward. James Gunn also attached. Um, like I keep saying, I just want to hammer it home. We're going to stick around for the draft. We're going to dive into the characters. But Liam, just vague question off the top for you as far as the uh, chemistry, the character dynamic, the team dynamic here. Um, Joel Kinnaman and uh, Margot Robbie are the only holdovers from an actress standpoint from the Suicide Squad that were a part of the main core. Um, uh, but I think the rest really fit in really well. Um, you know, Harley kind of had her own thing going on most of the movie, so it was really the other four or five that we focused on more than anything. Um, but I liked it. Uh, it had Guardians vibes. I'm not saying it was as well done as Guardians. Um, you know, as far as like, wow, I love these guys, you know, halfway through this movie, but I immediately was bought in to this group. Uh, what did you feel about the Suicide Squad? Yeah, Bravo squ- team. Bravo team. <laughs> the, the, this squad was fantastic. Uh, no pun intended. I love the dynamic between uh, Joel Kinnaman and John Cena, Rick Flagg and Peacemaker. They're just one upping each other, but also, you know, when they eventually have their fight scene, I thought was fantastic because they've been established as not, not so much friends per se but they have a relationship there. So when they fight and they're fighting to the death, uh, you feel something, emotion and stakes. You know, we're going to put it on a t-shirt one day. Those are Liam Crowley's two check marks on a movie or streaming show to get invested in. And yeah, this movie met both of them. And a lot of that came down to the Joel Kinnaman, John Cena dynamic as Rick Flagg and as Peacemaker. And on top of that, though, the whole dynamic at the bar, I really, really liked because it was, you know, I'm, I'm watching Outer Banks right now. And, you know, that's the show where there's a big narrative going on. But occasionally the episode I just got to, hey, the, the crew, you know, we got we got bigger fish to fry. We got 12 hours to ourselves. Let's kick back. Let's let's throw some beers back in a hot tub and just shoot the shit. I like taking a break from the big narrative and saying, you know, we're all going to die anyways. Who cares? Let's enjoy ourselves. Let's go out. Let's have some drinks. Let's do some shots. And I, I really appreciated that scene because it, it added another layer. I'm going to say layers a lot, this, this review, but it added, it, does, it, it, did, it, it added another layer of, of emotion and investment to the squad's dynamic as a whole, which I think was very, very well done. Didn't feel forced. I think that's important to note. Um, you know, with that scene, you know, the bar having drinks scene is a classic staple in movies like this. Yeah. Um, you know, to, to tie it all in with the line of dialogue, here's to not dying in three hours. Love that because it, 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 it's blunt. You know, it, it tells the audience, Hey, we're moving into the bar scene. Not right now. You know what I mean? Um, but, uh, you talked about, um, flag and peacemakers chemistry. I want to throw blood sport in there too. I think that trio had a really awesome dynamic between the three of them the whole time, you know, a little showmanship, a little, can I trust you? Can I not? Uh, but also respect. Um, they, they have my favorite scene in the whole movie. Those three, um, we'll get to that here in a minute, but I, I really, I appreciated the commitment to that bro relationship. Also the blood sport rat catcher stuff. Phenomenal. We'll get into that at the end of this uh, little talking points section. Uh, let's move on. The rated R thing, Liam. Uh, Deadpool really was the only one we could point back to in a real way that did this big budget cinematic universe type movie rated R. And and it's not so much using the rated R just to use the rated R, but I like how they used it. I like how they use the language to improve the comedy, to improve the story, to improve the dialogue. Um, the blood, the gore, the horror aspect of it, did not expect it to hit me uh, the way it did. Like I kept saying in the star a bit, terrifying. 
Like I was truly uncomfortable and scared a lot, but um, I really appreciated the use of the rated R tag here. Um, I'll let you go off because like you said, this is James Gunn unleashed. You know, this is no handcuffs, no Disney, um, you know, no, nothing against Disney's PG 13 rule, which is fine. And I'm excited about it because it does, you know, kind of create a family vibe to it. But this was, like I said, relentless. It is relentless. That's the best way to put it. I, I liked how it enhanced the story, enhanced the movie. Um, it wasn't used just to be used. I think that's where a lot of rated R movies can fall into a trap of they're just tossing in swears just because, oh, well, we can. And they're tossing in gory action because we can. The, the gory death scenes added another layer. Here it is again. Uh, onto the stakes of the movie. Because when a character dies and we haven't really spent that much time with them, how do you emphasize that this death is important? You make it graphic, <laughs> essentially. You know, the whole crew that dies at the beginning, each one of them got a brutal death and then moving forward into the movie polka dot man brutal death rick flag brutal and slow death which was something that i think uh was carried out with a lot of these characters it wasn't just instant these characters are being tortured and they were scared and michael rooker savant swimming away all all terrified of the mission at hand knowing he's about to risk a bomb blowing up in his head but he sees all the destruction that's laid out and that terrifies him a criminal to swim away and then we see his head explode literally it doesn't cut away it doesn't do the john walker smashing a flag smasher implied destruction it shows it mm. and it gives an added layer again an added layer of, of investment of in, of emotion so the rated rness uh to wrap it all up enhanced this movie it wasn't a crutch it wasn't a gimmick and it, there, it wasn't a movie where, okay, this could have been PG-13, but we want to go the extra mile. Let's make it rated R. No, this movie needed to be rated yeah. R to work. Right. A lot of other movies, you know, you could uh, censor them and make them for all audiences and it would still hit home 90% of what was uh, conveyed in the rated R take. This movie was rated R through and through. PG-13 significantly cheapens the quality. I completely agree. I, it, the rated R in this was baked into the tone. Mm. You know what I mean? Like it was a part of the foundation of this movie in the best of ways. And um, I, I appreciate the commitment to it. You know, James Gunn, he was given all of this. It's so ironic, right? James Gunn was given all this freedom and all this, you know, ability to do what he wants, say what he wants and make the movie he wants. Man, I wish Zack Snyder had that freedom. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, give Zack Snyder that ability just so we can at least not have these well butts every time we talk about Zack Snyder. Like, like when we talk about Man of Steel, Batman vs. Superman, and Justice League, the problems of those movies, the ultimate answer by anybody who defends them, yeah, but WB didn't let Zack Snyder do what he wants. I agree. That's stupid. Let him do what he wants. Man, did they let James Gunn go off with this one. I think it was really well done um, and, and nuanced. Um, you know, as in your face and relentless as it was, it it was surrounded by emotion and character development and comedy and and it it just supported it and like you said, not a crutch. I really like that. You mentioned in some conversation, I don't know what it was, but you mentioned that you kept looking at your buddy. It was like, hey, that's a dope shot. Hey, that's a dope shot. All that stuff, the camera work here, the production, the visuals, all that I think was just over the top awesome. Uh, you know, Warner Brothers put the money into this one and it played out. Uh, what was some of your favorite shots in this movie? What was your, some of your favorite visuals or, you know, just kind of cinematic moments? You mentioned on Twitter, the one of that, that's a Liam Crowley shot, the, oh. the, the reverse shot with the helmet. 
of a whole fight scene going on, reminiscent, uh, I know it's not an action scene, but reminiscent of 2012's Avengers when Loki is lecturing Black Widow and we focus on Black Widow's reaction to everything, like you mewling Quim and he's going off and you only see Loki's reflection and it's not perfect because it's not in a mirror it's through the glass of the tank that he's in which i thought was phenomenal and you know having an action scene where it circles around that helmet and it's one continuous shot and it keeps going and it keeps going and it emphasizes that this is how we're viewing the fight i thought was phenomenal there's one shot of idris elba blood sport hanging off on some sort of wire on the giant tower and it's wide and it zooms in close and that reminded me of the force awakens when the millennium falcon is being chased by some TIE fighters on Jakku, and he's the Millennium Falcon is flying through one of the Star Destroyers, and it's a wide shot, and then it zooms in real close. And little things like that, it's so 21st century filmmaking, but whatever for whatever reason, it's not overdone, at least not yet. So when they do have those moments of a quick zoom from a wide to a tight shot, it just it gets my broadcast like gears turning. I'm like, that's a dope shot. I love the production value there. And there's so many more that I, I can't even think of the the logo, not the logo, the location transitions, the time transitions. There's one in particular that was made out of like scraps on a roof. And then the camera pans up and you see those scraps turn into what they naturally are. They're just the way it was initially shot showed like Quarto Maltese or how whatever location it was or like 20 minutes later and then it zooms up and you see like oh they were aligned in that way and that's how the depth created yeah. that stuff like that it's just like it makes me appreciate the little things because there mm-hmm. there's so much you, there, not that it's easy to make a comic book film it's absolutely not but it's so easy to go oh we got these great characters we got this great action and there's a big monster they fight at the end buy your ticket but those little things the attention to detail is what makes James Gunn stand out amongst the dozens of comic book filmmakers out there. It's, it's, um, it's really a testament to audiences can tell when the people who made a movie had fun making a movie Mm. and, and, and you do that, you show that by allowing, you know, all right, Sam an executive and I'm on a Snyder set like, Hey, all right, you can have fun with the cinematic side of this, but you know, wrangle it in with the script, wrangle it in with the characters, wrangle it in with the plot. Um, you know, you can say have fun with certain parts and then, you know, it's, it's gotta be a little more uh, team effort on other parts. You can tell from the script to the characters, to the dialogue, to everything, all the way up to, like you said, the the camera work and the using of those uh, narrative words on the screen 20 minutes later. You know, the way they used all of that. Everyone had fun at every level of this movie. And it, it, it like I said, it allows us to have fun. You know, you kind of sit back and relax with this movie. As crazy and outrageous and in your fucking face it is, you kind of just sit back and you're like, man, this is just a fun ride. And I think, I think, I keep saying this. I think that creates a ceiling as far as how good this movie can get. Um, you know, like if we were to put it on certain list, um, a little tease, I guess. But um, it it does it does kind of limit how good it can get. But like if if you put it on a different list, how much fun was this movie? Limitless potential for this movie on those types of lists, and a lot of that comes with the action. Uh, my favorite thing about the action in this movie is the variety of action personally it's it's these giant set pieces jumping from one falling building to another holy shit the world's gonna end it's a fucking kaiju up in this shit and we also have a lot of great hand-to-hand stuff it has 
the best hand-to-hand uh, fight scene the DCU has ever offered. It has the two best hand-to-hand fight scenes the DCEU has ever offered. I know what people are saying. Well, Matt, you're an MCU guy. You historically hate the DCEU. The Batman warehouse scene, one of the best fight scenes in comic book movie history. It's incredible. I love it. I watch it all the fucking time. It's my favorite. This movie, I do, I do think, topped it twice because it has something that none of those movies have. Stakes, emotion, we care about the characters. And they're dope fight scenes. So um, big set pieces, small hand-to-hand combat, really ran the gamut here. Something that Guardians of the Galaxy, I think, lacks is like hyper-interesting action scenes. Um, it's more like fun action moments in Guardians pieced together. Uh, the the chess cannon thing, the, the, the jailbreak scene, you know, one of the best, right? But it's not really like an action sequence. It's more like a chase sequence. So this movie, I think, has that quality that I really appreciate it. Yeah, the uh, I was going to disagree at first about the Batman being the the warehouse scene being the best action scene. But you did mention the key thing, emotion and stakes. And if I'm not invested, then how much can I really enjoy it from a visual perspective? I think the warehouse scene is second to none. But no one enters that warehouse scene going, oh, man, I really hope Batman makes it out of this one because, <laughs> you know, he, he's, he's got to fight Doomsday for whatever reason and shoot him with a pistol. Anyways, uh, the Suicide Squad, the flower, <laughs> the flower scene uh, was oh, fantastic. You, you mentioned that's that's one of the ones that had emotion and stakes and, and visual appeal to it. That was fantastic. What was the other one you were alluding to? Because I'm curious. The helmet, the, the Rick Flag Peacemaker. Yes. That, I mean, that was I know, I know you've never seen him. That's Dom Toretto and uh, uh, Dwayne Johnson. That's Vin Diesel, Dwayne Johnson. It's awesome. I, I have seen Furious 7, and I know you mentioned it in the Slack channel. What's the, what's the rule about memeing movies you haven't seen? And I knew that was calling out me what? for Furious 7. But I, ha- I have seen that movie. That's the one I've seen. And it has yeah. the ridiculous Statham versus Vin Diesel. And they're fighting each other with crowbars. And they're flying through a collapsing garage. <laughs> It's incredible, but but it doesn't have stakes. No, this one had stakes because Rick Flag or Peacemaker could have both got it, and one of them did. And the emotion yeah. too of having oh. a, a relationship between them, Statham uh, and, and Diesel. I don't know why I'm going back to this one, but they there was That's like similar. a ven- ven- vengeance aspect, right? His brother sure. died in the previous one, and no, he's trying didn't. to trying to avenge him. What, what yeah. was? It? But his brother was the villain of the previous. His one, brother right? was hospitalized, so yeah. Vin Diesel took down a country. No, I mean uh, Jason Statham took down a country. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's, and then he became a good guy. It gets more ridiculous if you watch the other movies. Okay, <laughs> that's how crazy it is. You need to watch these, man. They're awesome. I know. I need to but, fill Suicide in the Squad. gaps between before Fury Seven and after. But yeah, Suicide Squad. That that fight scene might be my favorite because now, since you mentioned it, emotion and stakes was the two things I have to meet. And and Kinnaman versus Cena is is kind of second to none. So, yeah, you mentioned the action. It delivers the action in a way that other DCEU movies that have great action that, that don't have mm-hmm. the, uh, the key elements of emotion and stakes. And you made such a good point. Someone bit it. You know what I mean? Like, like it ended in one of the characters dying. Like, that's huge. That makes the entire fight scene leading up to it even that much better. I can't wait to rewatch this movie because of those types of things. I, I can't get out of here without talking a little bit more about the flower scene. I mean... Yes. James Gunn, I think, teased it a month or so ago. Like, there's a Harley Quinn action scene that's going to blow people out of the water. Holy shit, man. This was an acid trip. 
mixed in with a John Wick movie uh, combined with like a Daredevil hallway scene all at the same time. And it's it's insane. Uh, what is I'm trying to think of like a hand to hand combat scene that just like went on forever that like we historically talk about on this show. I know Winter Soldier. I'm not going to say it's Winter Soldier level good, but it had those vibes, right? The most unique hand to hand stuff we've you know we've seen in a long time to add that crazy bitch harley quinn aspect to it like it's such a cool way to do it the classic james gunn needle drop in the middle of it but i think all of it like as great as that action scene was the torture scene before it where harley quinn's just getting electrocuted and loving it and and singing that song like a crazy person and all that stuff and then at the last second she gets out of it because it's harleen quinzel and then the song she was singing plays and she goes to work. And then the flower stuff happens because she got hit in the head. It's I, I I was jaw dropped that entire scene. And just like everything else in this movie, it just kept going relentless. It was awesome. It was awesome. And I was such a fan of it. Yeah, uh, the, the flower scene, I, I wasn't as high as other people were just because the only reasoning being that Harley's making that out, making out, making out of that scene alive, you know, because she's Harley Quinn, Margot Robbie, compared to the uh, Kinnaman versus Cena, where I was like, either of these guys could get it. But the visual appeal, as you mentioned, second oh. to none. Uh, the the fact that they tie it in with she got hit in the head, and that's why we're seeing this. It's not just there because, oh, this will make for a cool spot in the trailer. It all makes sense. It's not a crutch. It enhances it. It's Harley Quinn. Yeah. <laughs> you, can, you can do whatever you want when that character is on screen. You can do whatever you want, and people are going to be like, yeah, that makes sense. Because she's nuts. I get it. Yeah. yeah. It's awesome. Such a fan. Let's move on to our last little bit here. The heart of this movie. This is what everybody was so excited about. This isn't just going to be action and DC characters and, you know, this, that, the other. It's not just going to be cool cinematic set pieces one after another like a lot of DCE movies, DCEU movies are. This had heart. We did care about these guys. And it's insane. And a lot, if not all, of the emotional core of this movie. The political core, I think, is Cena and Flag, um, Peacemaker and Rick Flag. I think yep. that's kind of the political core of this, but the emotional core of this movie, Idris Elba's Bloodsport, kind of the main character, right? And then Ratcatcher 2, um, I have it written down somewhere. What is her name? Um, Diego something? Diego uh, Melquire? Um, that's probably not right. So sorry, everybody. I, I, I can't not say her actual name yeah daniela melquire melquire mm-hmm. holy shit was she lovable holy shit did i just want to see more of her she was us watching this movie yeah in the movie and it was so great i love how they played off each other i love how they played singly and i think that choosing those two to be the emotional core of this movie in variety of creative ways I think was just such an inspired choice because it's the rehashed Will Smith character and the freaking rat lady who are going to drive the emotion home here. How on earth are people going to fall in love with a raccoon in a tree? How are they going to do it? Well, fucking rats, man, rats. He did it again. He did it again. We fell in love with the raccoon when the rats come and Taika Waititi does his little speech. Um, you know, rats are the most, you know, uh, hated and disgusted ca- uh, creatures in the world. If they have a purpose, so do all of us. And then rats. And it was awesome. It was awesome. And I just, I love how James Gunn drove home the emotion here. 
and the smile Ratcatcher 2 has when she's, oh. lift, when she's lifting up the light and all the rats are coming in. And here's me. Anytime I'm waiting in the Boston Tea Station, I see a rat crawling around. Like, oh, oh, my God. And I'm just like in the theater being like, yeah, yeah come on, rats, rats, baby. There's this there's this viral Internet poll that goes around. And I'm sure you've seen it on like Barstool where it's like pick two to defend you. The rest will try to kill you. And the options are like three lions, five eagles. And one of the options is 10,000 rats. And anytime me and my friends get into this debate, they're like, they're like, oh, whatever. And I'm like, you need those rats. Do you know how much 10,000 is? This was the, this was the visual representation of that age old internet debate. And I turned to my friend and I said, you know, you're not picking the rats anymore. 10,000. And he's like, there's no way that's 10,000. I'm like, that's probably 5,000. You're right. And double it. Crazy. You know, you are wrong, Liam. How many rats were there? Millions. You think there are millions? Okay, Limitless actually, actually, amounts of rats at actually, the end of that movie, man. <laughs> the the ones up close were in the thousands, but once they started crawling up Starro, you know, oh my world, God. world War Z style. With billion rats. Yeah. Like, like, oh, wow. But yeah, the, the fact that I care, the fact that I'm invested and the character to going from being like the sleepy, like, leave me alone. I'm not, Lover. I don't care. What, a character like that starting out as like, whatever, nothing matters. I don't care. I just want to sleep to now ending the movie with a purpose. It's such a small storytelling technique, but it, it hits. It hits home. It was awesome. We'll talk more about those moments here soon. And that leaves us to uh, one of our two post credit scenes. One of them obviously was Weasel waking up on the uh, island. I thought that was funny. Uh, uh-huh. Straight out of Marvel's handbook. One silly, one serious. And then the other one, uh, Peacemaker. We thought he uh, went down in that encounter with Bloodsport. I thought that was a great callback line, by the way. Uh, uh, I'll use smaller bullets. And it gets through. And how'd you do that? Smaller bullets, asshole. <laughs> like, I love that. That was great. Uh, Liam, just quick, Peacemaker show moving forward. From what you saw from Cena here, the character development, the heel turn, etc. What are we thinking? Can't wait. Can't, Can't wait. wait. Hopefully it's spring of 2022, you know, production wise might be a little difficult. Cause like we said, we keep teasing two episodes a week. Shout out Caleb Garrett on Twitter, asking for two episodes a week, pretty soon. Once we have two episodes a week to break down, you're a fool. If you don't think we're talking this peacemaker show every single week for however many episodes it is. So my, uh, my hype is high and the future of DC on the small screen between uh, Peacemaker, Green Lantern Corps, they're building themselves uh, someone to be to be messed with over at HBO Max. Much like in the world wrestling entertainment, you know, society, um, incorporation? The wrestling worlds or... I or... almost said, I, well, I almost said Federation. In the WWE, yes. uh, they really built the uh, late to early 2010s. Uh, they really built like 2006 to 2015 around John Cena because he's yeah. a personality that you can build around. Same thing here with DCU on HBO Max. I think easily the funniest character in the show. Obviously, he was given the most funny lines to say, but he delivered every single one well. And then the heel turn to, you know, now he's a menacing, like, you know, adversary. Like, you know, the fact that he was able to do the goofy stuff so well and then also play the menace, I think that was a great move. And I can't wait to see that explored in Peacemaker. The comedy of that show is going to be through the roof. And um, it's going to be, you know, just awesome to watch John Cena do his thing. Now let's get into some of our favorite moments, lines, and scenes from the movie. Liam, do you have any before I go off on my rampant list here? I'll just re- restate it once more. The helmet reverse shot scene. It's beautiful. Yeah. I'm going to YouTube that so many times. And that's just a wallpaper waiting to happen. 
very good. Um, my mine is the flower scene as well. We've talked about it. Can't say enough how much I love that scene. Um, but probably my favorite. I have two favorite scenes of the movie. The flower scene I thought was the best scene, but my two favorites are when they storm the rebel camp, and it's that dick measuring contest between Bloodsport and Peacemaker, like see who can who can kill the most people, but also who can kill them in the most creative ways. That whole scene was funny because Peacemaker's doing the blow dart. Bloodsport is, you know, finding ways to kill people that we can't even conceptualize. Peacemaker does all these crazy things, and then we turn the corner. Bloodsport has set two people on fire at this point. We didn't get to see that. And all that stuff, and then, you know, the jerk-off thing, and Bloodsport even kind of, like, did that. And, uh, you know, one of my favorite lines, uh, it's, it's truly incredible. Nobody likes to show off. They do when what they're showing off is fucking dope that laugh out loud for me and then they get to the end and they open the doors and they find out that they just killed this chick's entire family and they go yeah i didn't see any people did you guys see any people <laughs> and all that stuff it was insane two quick things to add when uh, peacemaker walks by the one guy like laying down on a bed or like a hospital and he's resting he just takes an <laughs> axe and just chop 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 yeah. i'm like good lord <laughs> and then when they get to the end uh, it, it's a very it, it's a it's a trope used in films before, and it's a very risky trope when you have like ten seconds of silence because you are anticipating as a filmmaker the audience is going to laugh here for an extended period of time. We can't put any dialogue in that they might be laughing over and miss. Grown Ups Two, uh, I will point to that movie because they have a lot <laughs> random right. There is a lot of moments in Grown Ups Two where pause dialogue because we're anticipating laughter. And I remember being in the theaters for that movie and it's awkward as hell because not a lot of people were laughing for as long as they anticipated them to or not laughing at all. That moment, there was like 10 to 15 seconds of silence on the screen because they were anticipating the audience to be cracking up laughing at the idea of, you know, John Cena and Peacemaker, <laughs> Peacemaker and uh, Bloodsport slaughtering the entire family. And oh it works. It, it was, it, it, it's Babe Ruth calling the shot. They're going to laugh for at least 15 seconds oh, here. Good, man. And the theater was electric. Crushed it. Absolutely crushed it. Like, along those same lines, the beach full of dick scene, uh, you know, I would, I would say absolutely. If it was in the name of peace, like I was in the trailer slayed in this movie um king shark trying to eat rat catcher too the hell what the hell man and they all convene and it's just that's that's a great scene um oh okay my second favorite scene in the movie when they're in the armored car it's a blood sport uh, uh flag and um peacemaker and they're all handcuffed right and the uh the the cops or whatever are doing their monologue thing, telling them about Harley and uh, Idris Elba gets a cigarette because prison and um, he gets a cigarette and he's explaining the one shot kill, you know, the, uh, you know, you know, you know, have you heard about the thing where you can kill a man with one single blow? And then the guy's like, yeah, it's a myth. You can't do it. No one can do that. You know, it's a fairy tale. It's Fugazi <laughs> fairy dust. Um, and then Idris Elba goes, yeah, that's what they say. That's what they say about it. And the guy goes, who's they? Idris Elba goes, amateurs. And then in just the coolest, the coolest dialogue thing in this whole movie, Idris Elba goes, amateurs. Flag goes on one. Cena goes, one. And then they all headbutt the guy at the perfect kill point, and everybody dies. And it's the coolest fucking moment, man. I was so excited. I, I sat up. I was like, I, I said it out loud. That was dope. Because, man, like, 
for, for whatever reason, these three trained killers, the biggest killers in the world, Bloodsport, uh, Brick Flag, and uh, Peacemaker, they all knew at the exact same time, okay, we're going to do the one-shot kill. On one, one, bang. That was beautiful uh, action movie shit. You know what I mean? That was awesome. I needed to shout that out. Absolutely. I'm glad you did because I completely forgot that that scene happened. And that's Bro. a scene that makes me want to see this movie again in theaters. I know it's going to be on HBO Max and I'm subscribed, so technically it's free. But that's something I want to be in an environment to experience that again. On one, one. I, I never, I've never seen that joke before. You know what I mean? Like I've oh. seen on three, three. And, you know, and then they, you know, quick uh, sneak attack. The on one, one thing, it got such a pop out of me. Um, and, and the funniest scene of the whole movie. And then we'll get out of best scenes. We could talk all day about best scenes. I'm not kidding. But I, I, this list is, I'm not even halfway through, right? The Milton scene, when Milton dies. Do you remember that? The yeah. driver? Yeah, the yeah. random guy throughout the whole movie? My buddy leaned over to me halfway through. Who the fuck is this guy? Like, are they not going to address it? This guy's just kind of here. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And then he dies and Polka Dot Man is distraught. They killed Milton. They killed him. Cold blood and blood sport. I thought this was going to be the joke. Milton was with us. <laughs> Milton was here. Why was he here? You know, why was he here the whole time? And then Polka Dot Man is just so upset. You didn't know he was here. He was helping us. He was a part of the team. And I didn't even know he was here, man. And then they cut over to Harley Quinn and she steals the whole movie for me. Who's Milton? <laughs> Who the hell is Milton? <laughs> and and Polka Man loses it. You don't know Milton? He goes, and Harley, there was a man named Milton with us the whole time. Are you sure? Are you sure? <laughs> she peeks around the corner. She sees Milton. Oh, man. <laughs> Milton, you crazy son of a bitch. And Polka Man's at it. He's done. He's over. He's leaving. He's gone. I was in tears, Liam. I'm not kidding. I was crying laughing at that whole two-minute bit. I thought it was hilarious. Those moments rock. Uh, and I, I do remember they bring it back, too. When I oh. was, Polka, was it because Polka Dot Man dies? No, or? no. Harley, Harley and Bloodsport have that emotional... A moment because Rick Flag's dead, and they're the only two that knew Rick beforehand. Right, and then you know I knew Rick too. You know all that stuff, and then Harley goes, "Thanks, Milton." Bloodsport yeah. <laughs> goes, goes, "That's not my name." He goes, "She goes, yes, it is." We just talked for like three hours about how your name is Milton. <laughs> it's just, dude, tears. I'm not kidding. It was hilarious. That was that was the Drax being invisible scene for me. I, I yeah. the biggest yeah, yeah. the biggest comedic pop ever. Yeah, awesome. All right, yeah, and that's a stall. That's a stall in the review. Uh, so that's basically everything about the movie, Liam. It's time to do what the internet does best and rank some shit. I need to know. This will we'll be blown off the top. Where does the Suicide Squad stand on your DCEU rankings? Before you answer, what is your top three before the Suicide Squad? Top three, top of my head, Aquaman. Top of your head, Shazam, Man of Steel. Great top three. Where does the Suicide Squad fall? I assume it's in your top three. It is in my top three. And it's hard. It's really hard for me to not go one with this. Aquaman, I just have whatever nostalgia attachment to. But at the end of the day, if I pop on HBO Max and I'm looking at DCEU movies to rewatch, maybe it's recency bias, but it's hard to pass up the Suicide Squad. I 
I think this is my number one. It might change upon a rewatch of Aquaman. It might change upon a rewatch of Shazam. Cause I, I actually really love Shazam. I think it's got a lot of heart. It's the most MCU movie in the mm-hmm. DCEU. 100%. And that's, a, that's a compliment, but yeah, I think suicide squad's number one. That's uh, that is uh, not surprising. I'm going to be honest with you. I like what you said about rewatching it. This is going to be a movie I rewatch all the time. I'm going to pop this movie on all the time. It's going to be great. I don't think it has enough like cin- uh, storytelling weight to like get ruined. It's too funny. I mean, it's a comedy first and foremost. You know what I mean? It's, a, yeah. it's an action comedy. And those are the types of movies I like to rewatch a bunch. So um, I have been very vocal on this podcast about how I have not enjoyed overall the DCEU so far. Um, when Man of Steel came out, I was my 18th birthday. I was very excited and I walked out of the movie a little let down. And I honestly, I, I'm the kind of guy who walking out of a movie theater, I look at my dad and I say, that's the best movie I've ever seen. Yeah. You know, I, I say that all the time. Like, Matt, hey, so Matt, how did you enjoy it? Maybe my new favorite movie of all time. I say I say it every single new movie I see. That was me as a kid. I walked out of Man of Steel, not that excited about it and that's when you know this first time i can remember feeling that you know i understand it's a good movie i get that it's it's somebody put it um about man of steel recently it's so good you're mad that it's not great that's a that's a lens i look at man of steel through um so anyway that started it i have not liked the dceus so far i'm not a snyder fan when it comes to comic book movie storytelling etc etc this movie is number one in the dcu dceu with a bullet for me i think it is multiple tiers above my previous number one which was birds of prey because that's it's the only dceu movie that has characters i really care about really like like i i can i can sit down and think that you know what i mean like i don't really care about arthur curry shazam or uh clark kent not not in a big way wonder woman i think might have a uh, conversation i had fun with birds of prey I had fun with Wonder Woman. I had fun with Shazam. Those were my previous top three. The Suicide Squad is multiple tiers above them. And I'm just going to say it. Um, This is for me. I said this uh, on the primer. You can argue with me about my bottom five MCU movies and my top three DCEU movies. Some of them, you could, I, I could be convinced that they should crack the list, right? But not, not, like, if I'm writing it down, I'm not doing it. I'm not putting any DCU movie in my MCU list. I don't think any of them are up to the snuff. For the simple fact, I care about those characters at the end of the day. You know what I mean? The Suicide Squad has cracked the MCU list for me. And it has made it six or seven spots in. Like, it's in there, man. Like, firmly in my third tier. Like I said, because of the rehash quality and the fact that it is just purely an action comedy and all that stuff. I think it gives it a ceiling, but this movie being so deep into my MCU list, I think is a big statement for me personally. And, uh, you know, I think it just had a great, a great um, appearance into my life. And I cannot wait to watch it again. One of my favorite comic book movies I've seen in recent years. I know it's not one of the best, one of my favorites though. Um, Liam, four comic book movies moving forward, the DCEU specifically, what kind of precedence do you think this movie sets um, for, Movies coming in the future, the Batman, Aquaman 2, etc. Or I I also want you to comment on new projects that will be announced. You know, like once people see this movie, fans are going to love it. What are the people in WB sitting here thinking, okay, how can we capitalize on this idea? 
There are two big statements I'll make about what precedence it sets. Uh, creative freedom for directors, specifically yep. at Warner Brothers. They see how much James Gunn had fun with this movie. The critical response has been fantastic. And even though I kind of have doubts about its box office haul, specifically because of the hybrid release, I think that this is the type of movie that moves the needle in terms of getting a huge wave of subscribers over to HBO Max because word of mouth about this movie alone is going to have people saying, I need to see this. I need to see this. And then if they see all they have to do is subscribe to a streaming service to get it, all of a sudden they're on that streaming service. Oh my God, Game of Thrones, Westworld, no way, Euphoria. I've been meaning to watch all that. Next thing you know, this HBO Max bill for 15 bucks a month is at the bottom of people's email chains and they're a subscriber for life, essentially. So Suicide Squad is that kind of gateway drug into becoming a uh, an HBO Max addict, in my opinion. Uh, mm -hmm. Kind of a weird way to, to, to assimilate it, but I kind of like that metaphor. Um, and the other uh, thing I'll say, the big statement, um, it opens the door for R-rated comic book movies. I think Marvel is going to reassess Blade after this movie to see if they'll make that rated R. I think this gives uh, Marvel a lot more confidence in making a Deadpool 3, not so much because the first two Deadpools were uh, such a success, but because recency bias, people are going to say, R-rated so good, this is so great, and Marvel doesn't want to be outdone by DC. So I think they're going to be like, why would we handcuff a popular and proven R-rated character when we probably want to one-up the Suicide Squad in terms of pushing the boundaries with rated R uh, content. But on top of that, I think that this opens the door for more R-rated DC movies, DC streaming shows. So it'd be remiss if Peacemaker isn't you know, rated R and pushes the boundaries. So those two big things, I think, are going to turn the tide in terms of comic book movie storytelling. But I think there's a lot more trickle-down effects of this movie. I just haven't really pinpointed them yet because I haven't seen how others react to it. I think that this movie has a, has a lot more effects on the greater world of Hollywood, but they're long-term effects and we won't know them until they happen. Right. And um, I completely agree with the creative freedom thing. I think that's imperative um, in this movie. Let James Gunn eat and he ate and he ate good. Um, uh, it's an interesting point moving forward because like they're going to bring on directors who have a vision and can commit to it like James Gunn does um, but in the short term though the Batman is what I'm looking at I got all eyes on the Batman it's, it's not connected to any other movie in the DCEU and uh, they got Matt Reeves in there let him eat let him do his thing and um, I can't wait to see what that movie ends up being after the Suicide Squad for the DCEU in general this raises the bar, man. Like this, like I said, this is a DCEU movie that can compete with some of the other best comic book movies in a real way. Like as much as you like Aquaman, you understand, I know you understand that it's not a top snuff MCU level movie just from emotion and stakes, you know, just straight up, straight up and down, you know, the core values of what you like in movies. I'm not, I'm not trying to say you shouldn't like Aquaman. This movie is a step above from just like a, modern comic book movie thing you know what right. i mean like james gunn did not make a mcu cookie cutter movie but he did take his lessons from the mcu and brought them over here and made a really great unique product it evolved the genre i think that's exactly. fair to say because exactly. we're getting to a point now where comic book movies you can't call comic book movies oh what what kind of movie is it it's a comic book movie no cap winter soldier is a spy espionage movie guardians of the galaxy is a space opera thor ragnarok is a comedy the suicide squad is a black comedy essentially it's a black comedy action thriller and this uh james gunn has said that he feels like the superhero 
genre is a little bit oversaturated and this spoke in droves right now because he made a movie that wasn't as much as I love Aquaman and Shazam those movies are copycats of other things we've already seen in terms of story beats in terms of action set pieces even though they have some heart attached to them and they have some investment they don't feel unique they don't stick out amongst the crowd Suicide Squad sticks out amongst the crowd and that is a huge compliment if nothing else um Guardians of the Galaxy changed the comic book world by saying you can make anybody care about any character if you do it right like like that's how Guardians of the Galaxy changed the genre Deadpool changed the genre by being rated R and being successful using the rated R rating to uh maximize the story not to prop up the story and then James Gunn I think he's done it again uh not so much I mean obviously he did what Guardians did he did Guardians and made us care about characters that we probably have no reason caring about he did what Deadpool did, use the rating or rated R uh, rating to enhance the story. But doing those two things together in the DCEU that is so historically handcuffing directors and, you know, not having any weight behind big moments. He was able to put weight behind big moments and make a movie he wanted. That is what changes the DCEU and in turn the brand. I, I love what you said. I do think this movie makes Deadpool 3 better. It really does. Like it has to. You, you, there's another bar to reach. It's not just be better than Deadpool 2, be better than the Suicide Squad. And, and that is something that's going to elevate the entire genre because it comes from the, uh, it comes from the blue brand. You know, like the blue brand having these types of movies makes the red brand better. It makes the yellow brand better. It's, it's something that we can all get behind and get excited about. So, guys, fuck, that was long. Um, That's the Suicide <laughs> Squad review. We loved this movie. We are so excited to watch it again. We thought we were going to be able to watch it again this morning. We couldn't. We're going to watch it tonight. But um, let's keep talking about it, Liam. Let's just keep going. We're going to dive into the specific characters of this movie we loved the most. We're going to dive into their best lines, their best action sequences, their costumes, the actors, etc. in the next installment of the Direct Draft featuring comicbook.com's Chris Killian. After a first half dominated by Marvel content, DC ushered in the back half of 2021 with the Suicide Squad, a sadistically beautiful take on Task Force X. Just like all great comic book movie ensembles before it, the Suicide Squad is carried by its cast of characters. Familiar faces returned, new fan favorites emerged, and many barely got a line in before biting the bullet. With over a dozen anti-heroes, new and old, what better way to talk about them than with a draft? Ladies and gentlemen, it's another installment of the Direct Draft. I'm here, Matt's here, and our very special guest is here. You know him as the host of The Daily Distraction, the Colossus of Cold Opens, and the future condiment king of the DCEU. It's comicbook.com's Chris Killian. Chris, you've seen the movie. (laughs) We've done it. How excited are you to draft? Oh, I'm so excited to draft, but uh, it's been amped up so much more by that introduction. Thank you so much. The Colossus of Cold Opens. I'm going to steal that one. That's great. That's all yours. That's that's your Thank patent you now. so much. Uh, no, you credit the direct. I'm excited to talk about this with you guys. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be a good one, man. I think the characters, like Liam said, carried this movie. We were supposed to do this draft last night where I had a cocktail in my hands, but we had to switch it to this morning. And now I have coffee. I think you guys are trying to like play one over on me and get me off my game, but I'm pretty excited to win this thing. 
You have to do what I do and just put a cocktail in your coffee. Absolutely. That's the move. I think I need to up my coffee game a little bit in the morning. But uh, No, no, no. I don't have any alcohol in here. I want to clear that up that I'm <laughs> and, uh, I am not a, a closet alcoholic. There you go. Okay. I, I am though. So um, that's a little awkward, but um, no, I'm excited to go. Uh, yeah, Chris, let's talk about it. Chris, I believe you have the first pick. Is that right, Liam? Chris has got the first pick three rounds snake style. Only, only characters from the movie itself. Um, and we're also going to list off our honorable mentions uh, from comic members as well at the very end. So Chris, and, and you got, spoilers, we, we can, we can go just, Oh yeah, off. this is, we've right. already reviewed the movie right, in full. If right. you've made it to this part of the podcast, you've gone through spoiler territory. So Chris, you got the first pick. My first choice before I saw the movie and now post seeing the movie is still the same character. I'm going to go with peacemaker. Uh, I peacemaker is, I mean, he's a ride or die in this, in this movie. I mean, this guy, I mean, how can you not appreciate a guy who's willing to go all the way for what uh, what he believes in? So I, I think I think for John Cena, this is the role for him. I I just love him as Peacemaker. I can't wait for the series now. I want to see what they're doing, especially knowing that you know he dies. So I, obviously, this is going to be a prequel series. So I'm I'm pretty pumped to see him. But he's my first go-to guy. Did we maybe miss a post-credit scene there, Chris? Did I miss a post-credit scene? Oh, oh baby! I heard there was no post-credit scene. No, there was God. two. <laughs> oh no! This is going to be a great day for Chris when he sees this again. <laughs> oh, don't see it right after this. And All I, right. oh, man, I'm so mad. I I literally was like talking to my girlfriend. I was like, "Should we wa- wait for a post-credit scene?" And uh, and she was like, "Didn't you say there isn't one?" And I was like, "That's what I heard." So we didn't. And. Uh, be more excited for the series than you already are that's all okay. we can really okay yeah, we won't spoil the post credit scene itself but it'll get you even more <laughs> hyped up um well, thanks for clearing that up for me guys because now absolutely. i've got something to look forward to when i watch it again what an electric first stuff. pick <laughs> what an unprecedented first pick um it, uh peacemaker i think stole uh various scenes in this movie uh i knew that the comedy stuff with cena and just the situation he's put in was gonna play and i was gonna love it and i knew that going in that i was gonna love his comedy i didn't expect the heel turn i didn't expect it to hit me so hard when you know he really is just all about his mission like like yeah. this was a very team oriented movie for so long and then i never expected peacemaker to be the one to kind of turn heel there well, um i want i want to say something about that i don't think of it as a heel turn i mean these guys are essentially who they are in i mean while we see some glimpses of uh, blood sport maybe changing you mm-hmm. know into a, a good guy so you know so to speak at the at the end there peacemaker i feel like is essentially who he is the entire time and he just has this this ironclad belief in in, in his kind of code but um, but what, what I found interesting, like you said, I knew it was funny going into it. You could tell from the trailers that Cena was going to be hilarious. But but when that flip does switch and and he and Rick Flagg are fighting mm-hmm. and he he's obviously like being put to the test that like with his morals are kind of coming, you know, against that code of his or whatever. And he's trying to decide what's more important to him. Cena really brought the drama in that. I really felt bad for Cena, like Cena felt peacemakers having to make this tough choice that he doesn't really want to make right and i guess heel turn might be the wrong word it's just i think the way the movie was going i expected him to uh abide by the team instead of his code at the end and i was shocked that he didn't i guess that that moment with Ratcatcher 
And, you know, why would you kill me? Because I'm fucking thorough. Like, like that hit, like that, that really like chilled me up a little bit in that moment. Cause I think it's the best acting I've ever seen Cena do. And oh, um, I think yeah. it's cause he was given, uh, Liam, we talked about it. He was given the tools we knew he was going to do well with in the comedy stuff. And then he really played that aggression thing at the end. I, I think better than I ever would have expected him to do so. Great. Number yeah. one pick. I agree with that. I, I agree. He, he Cena did an awesome job. And, and I stand by my earlier tweet that if he wants to retire from WWE and mm-hmm. only play Peacemaker for the rest of his acting career, I support it. He's got to get the head of the table first. I know I'd be very upset if we don't get the <laughs> SummerSlam match. So hopefully that still goes through. I know Las Vegas is kind of weird with restrictions. You saw me win. So I was upset because I really want a Peacemaker with my first pick because um, I love the character, Chris. I agree with everything you said. Uh, but now I kind of got a pivot for my second pick. And, you know, Matt, let's get some votes. Let's go Harley Quinn. Um, Harley it, Quinn <laughs> is a superstar in this movie. Um, I don't, I don't, I can't, I don't know if I can say she's the best I've ever seen her, but she very well might be. I have to like analyze that a little bit more. Um, she's great. I think in the 2016 Suicide Squad, a big bright spot in a film that not many people care about. But this film, I like how she had her ensemble shine, but she also got to be separated for a plethora of scenes and got to really shine on her own and further emphasize like Harley Quinn can stand on her own. Birds of Prey didn't do great at the box office, but then they switched the title Harley Quinn, Birds of Prey. And then from there, you know, it started to pick up steam. So I think that this movie just emphasized that we want to see more of Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn, both in an ensemble and as a solo character. And uh, I think that's a really big testament to uh, Margot Robbie's acting chops, because this is a character we've seen, what, three times now, and she's still hasn't gotten old and dare I would say she's just getting started in terms of fan anticipation. So Harley Quinn, my first pick, a bona fide first rounder for being honest. Yeah, that's awesome. I I agree with you too. And I I think that uh, I've always liked Margot as Harley Quinn, but I feel like the writing in some of these movies doesn't always like nail the character. And Mm -hmm. I think James Gunn got a lot closer to that than anybody else has so far. I think that, uh, I think Harley's, this is probably my bet, my favorite interpretation of Harley so far in live action. Um, Robert Downey Jr., Hugh Jackman, Ryan Reynolds, Margot Robbie. These are actors built to play a role in comic book movies. And I think uh, Margot Robbie solidified it here. Liam, I love how you put that, you know, this this movie really like locked down that she can do a solo project and we want to see her in ensemble. Any character can really do an ensemble if the team is good, but we want to see Harley on a team. And that gives Iron Man vibes like, you know, three solo movies. Then it was nothing but ensembles the rest of the run. And, um, you know, I'm not saying that Harley Quinn is up there with the Wolverines and Iron Man's as far as like characters we love, iconic stuff. But I don't think any actor could play this role better. And um, I Harleen Quinzel is one of my favorites um, little pander pick there, I think, from you, Liam. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I know that I know she wasn't at the top of your list, but you wanted to get some votes. I respect that. Um, <laughs> but now I get two picks here and I get to have a little fun. You know, what I mean, I don't have to take Harley here. Um, so I am going to pivot from the comedy and action of the movie where I think Peacemaker and Harley kind of roll uh, the flower scene. I could talk about it for days, but. Um, I'm going to go to the emotional side of this whole film. I'm going to start it off with Ratcatcher 2, Daniela um, Melchior. Oh, my God, you're awesome. Um, I think that she was like an instantly lovable kind of character as soon as she popped on screen. I really appreciated everything from the comedy stuff with her, you know, the lazy millennial thing. She had an emotional backstory. 
they did the the recap in the window, which I like when it started, I was like, ah, oh, this is cheesy, but like it fits the tone of the movie so well. Um, and just the whole rat theme throughout the whole movie. If if they have a place in the world, so do all of us. Like, I never expected there to be like a deep theme in this movie by the end, but wow, did it hit with Suicide Squad and rats. Um, I think uh, the performance was great. The character was way cooler than I thought uh, she ever could have been with her powers. And um, I think that she provided, we were her watching this movie from the screen. You know what I mean? Like, like she was our guide through this movie, watching everything go down. And I, I never expected Ratcatcher 2 to be somebody I clinged onto here. And she stole the show for me. Yeah, I really liked Ratcatcher for the same sort of reason. I didn't expect it, but um, and that's not exactly like a, a, a power. There's been a few like powers, like like as far as like villains that have this power to control rats. I mean, Ninja Turtles has one, and then there's mm-hmm. Ratcatcher in DC and stuff like that. And that's that's always seemed like sort of a lame power to have. But right. I think that you know uh, James Gunn really spun that, and the fact that that's what ends up saving the day is kind of you know tied with that emotional core. It was. That was really cool. I, I enjoyed seeing that. Absolutely. Yeah, I think the emotional core absolutely carried. And I liked, you know, you mentioned, Chris, that the, the rat catcher power is nothing to write home about. And they didn't try to overdo it. They didn't yeah. try to say like, oh, no, she's the crux of the film. She's like the secret to getting everything done. It was like, no, you have your power. And sure, it may not be as cool and flashy as other superheroes out there, but you can still make a difference at the end of the day. They didn't try to pivot the story to fit her power her power just naturally fit in towards the tail end of the movie, which I really appreciated. And Matt, we talked about it at length in the review. Uh, this movie, uh, not not sacrificing key elements to fit its own characters. Its characters fit the story naturally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, I missed the review part. I want to spin it back to Harley Quinn real quick. What did you guys think about the one date scene that was in the movie that I felt <laughs> like really like came out of nowhere and just takes a a little chunk of the movie and then it just kind of spins back to everything going on. What did you guys think of that? Watching it last night. Um, when I first saw it, I really liked it again. We were in the movie theaters and it was, you know, kind of this, Oh my God, a montage. I love a good montage. Um, but watching it last night, it felt like the most out of place scene in the movie, but what it's surrounded by, I think is awesome. You know, Harley doing the hopscotch in the mansion. Like that was awesome i thought you know just from like i love this character i love watching her and then afterwards with the murder rant that she goes on after popping that dude i what it's surrounded by i really liked and the line when the president says that some people don't like him and then she's like what the hell are you talking about have you shown them the birds have you shown them all the birds mm-hmm. like i thought back like oh yeah the word that was a really cool bird cage thing like i i, I don't know i think i think it's supported i think it efficiently made that death scene more funny than maybe it could have been. I thought it was a bit of a a momentum staller, if I'm being completely honest. But at the same time, it didn't take away enough from the greater narrative for it to like lower my score on the film whatsoever. And at the end of the day, uh, Jeremy Johns put it very well in his review. He said that um, it really emphasized that like Harley Quinn's like crazy. Like, no, she's straight up crazy. She's not just playing a part. Like, she's mentally insane. And this, at the very end, when she's, like, talking to his dead body, yeah, it hammered that home. And and also, I just need to point out, I don't know the actor who plays Luna, but I'll watch any two incredibly attractive people on screen together at any time. And those two are stupid hot. You know what I mean? Like, like I felt that, which was cool. 
Um, so uh, it's my pick swinging around. The I got the snake here in the second round. I'm gonna stick with the emotional support. Um, the main character in the movie. Um, unexpectedly, the focus. I'm gonna say Bloodsport, Idris Elba, uh, playing Dubois. Um, I I think that he benefits from screen time more than any other character. But at the end of the day. Um, you know, I can't knock him for that. Uh, he had some jokes that didn't quite land, but what I really appreciated about his just character is how often he was just like, fuck, you know, just, just pissed off at the whole situation the whole time. And I really, uh, I, I resonated with that and his, his power of just being, you know, pretty much a military trained super soldier. Right. I liked how they reference it right at the front that him and Cena have literally the same abilities, but at the end of the movie, when he pulls out that super gun that just keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps coming. I, I, I thought that at the end of the day that paid off and, uh, him and rat catchers relationship throughout this movie, him and the rat thing I thought was really cool. And, uh, you know, he, he really was kind of the glue here, uh, for this movie from a narrative standpoint. And I, I thought that it, Idris Elba can't do any wrong. He's, he plays this role really well. I thought, um, Bloodsport's not my favorite character in the movie simply because he did feel very interchangeable with like Will Smith's dead shot. Like sure. I feel like you could have, taken one out for the other and no no one would be the wiser but i um i gotta say i i i did especially love idris elbow's fight with his daughter in the prison awesome. scene i thought that was great and then uh and he's also got probably one of the coolest live action suits that i have seen in some time i loved mm -hmm. his suit his suit was amazing better taskmaster yeah. some would say Ooh, some would say but i didn't ah <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, I love the pick. Idris Elba has to be on this list. I do agree that he's interchangeable with with Will Smith's Deadshot to the point, even down to having a disgruntled daughter and wanting to avenge her in the end. And that's what kind really of makes him thing. turn good. But at the end of the day, he was still a cool character. I like the innovation with his suit, having all the gadgets come off him to create different weapons. And yeah, he was, as a lot of people will paint Ratcatcher 2 as the face of the emotion of this movie, uh, I would say Bloodsport is very much like the emotional core. Um, so yeah, Bloodsport is a great pick. My second pick, this is where it gets tough because I have two in my head. One, I don't think will come back to me. The other probably won't come back to me either. Uh, we're going to go with uh, one I liked uh, a little bit more, Rick Flag. I think Rick Flag had such a huge comeback story is kind of weird to say but 2016 Joel Kinnaman was not good I don't know if that's because of the writing or if it's because he was just a younger actor but he was one of the most wooden characters I've seen in a very long time especially when he's supposed to be the de facto leader sure Deadshot was the one who eventually emerged as the leader in 2016 same with Bloodsport here but he was the one who was supposed to like wrangle everyone together this one he had so much more charisma his personality got to shine a little bit more and his death was probably the one that impacted me the most when he slowly died and they did the freaking Mortal Kombat kill. Brutal. Uh, the entire fight scene between him and Peacemaker was emotional. I was invested the whole time, edge of my seat action. And I am going to be sad to not see Rick flag back in a future Suicide Squad sequel. And that's something I never thought I'd say entering this movie. Yeah, I agree 100% with all that. I thought Rick Flagg was probably one of the more underwhelming elements of the original Suicide Squad and spun it all the way around for this. I he did a he did a great job. I, I think, agree. I think that Joel Kinnaman brought it on both fronts too. I mean, he didn't I mean, he's he's not like a guy that they wrote jokes for, but after they kill that entire rebel militia coming in and then they're like 
yeah, I didn't see anybody, whatever. And he's consoling that lady and she's, and he goes, yeah, this sucks. Trust me. I know this, this sucks. But like, I thought that was really funny. And then Liam, you mentioned that fight when he goes peacemaker, what a joke. Like that was an incredibly emotional beat there that I never expected out of those two characters. Mm. And I, I really appreciated the flag peacemaker blood sport trio um, throughout the whole movie. And Joel Kinnaman held up with those two actors who, you know, those are you know, blockbuster names. Joel Kinnaman really impressed me in this movie. Great pick. All right. We on me now. We yes, on sir. Me? Back to back right. to close out your team. I'm going to have to go. Uh, all right, for second pick, I'm probably going to go Polka Dot Man, uh, who, I mean, that's such a bizarre power in the movie, but man, those Polka Dots, man, those are dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, probably the most ambitious character we've seen in a comic book movie in a long it's time, a but um, uh, I'm bad at this last name, if anybody can help me. David Mastian, I he- think. That, he, I was actually very nervous to say it because I, <laughs> I, I feel like I read it all the time, but it, yeah. it wasn't until I started saying Polka Dot Man that I was like, I don't think I've ever saying, said his name out loud before. So <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure if I know how to say it. Yeah. Um, but, but man, the, but what a great character. I mean, and, and as far as like seeing his mother everywhere, I just loved him. I, I was, he was one of the characters next to Peacemaker. I, I found that, well, I, I was sad that Rick, flag died i thought that that was uh very necessary for the story to go forward uh polka dot man was the one that frustrated me because he died just at the moment that he felt like he was actually helping the team out and that was so gut-wrenching for me i was like why why did and i knew it was coming as soon as he started screaming i'm a fucking super i was like no he's gonna die And I, I, that was the, that was one I saw coming that I, I was, I was disappointed that they pulled the trigger on. And I get that. I, I, I do like how that scene carried out that stakes of anybody can get it all the way to the end of the movie. Like, like this is a guy who made it to the final round and still got knocked out three Pokemon in. Um, I think that uh, that scene with the Milton death where he is just distraught that Milton's dead and Harley doesn't even know who the hell he is. That took him over the top for me as far as a mm-hmm. character. He is, uh, I almost picked him ahead of Bloodsport um, over there in the second round. So um, I, 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 again, another shocking character that I never thought I would care about, but I, I ended up really doing, really caring about the team and him as a part of it. Yeah. yeah I, I, I was going to say, I said he wasn't going to get back to me. It was between Rick Flagg and Polka Dot Man. I had a lot of emotional investment with him towards the end. And I was also sad to see him go, but I think, that it only emphasized the whole anybody can get it mentality going in, which even though it, it makes me sad to lose some of these favorite characters, I respect it as a, as a filmmaker choice. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I got to say too, uh, kind of building on top of that pick, my other pick is the other character that I felt surprisingly emotionally attached to my last pick King shark. I never thought I was going to be sympathetic towards a shark at all but there were a ton i actually leaned over to my girlfriend i was like wow i actually think king shark's cute like that's not something that i was expecting but king shark was awesome and i felt so sad for him that he felt like he didn't have any friends yeah oh my god when they're in the bar and king shark's in that van like i got really upset for king shark because all he wants to do is go out there and dance you know what i'm saying just when he's in the aquarium setting and he's just playing with the fish and i was just like king shark's freaking adorable like 
Yeah. This is so frustrating to me that he's so cute. Um, and I and and I don't know. I just loved him. And nobody does these sorts of characters better than James Gunn. Like, yep. like, you know, as far as like a like a like a giant man-eating shark or a tree that only says three words, like the fact that he can emotionally tie you to characters like that is just pretty phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Rats, trees, sharks, and raccoons, man. Who'd have thought? Yeah, absolutely. Pe- but that's peacemaker. My, that's my pick there. Cool. I, I'm gonna go King Shark. Good pick. Yeah, King Shark's a, a great pick. It was the one I wanted. Uh, I wanted both Polka Dot Man and King Shark, and I had to pivot a bit. Um, but yeah, it, it's a great pick. I was so much more emotionally invested um, into King Shark than I thought I would be, especially when I just kind of expected him to fill the killer croc role, just kind of the the beast of the team and just kind of is there to have a big action scene and leap on top of the giant kaiju and all that. He was so much more than that. His interactions with the team were fantastic. And I just liked at the end of the day, he just wanted friends. Like that's like, damn, like when you say he's cute, I'm like, yeah, you remind me of like a little kid who's just like shy. And he's like, I just, I I want friends. Yeah. The mustache thing. Everything. Worst Facebook, worst fake mustache I've ever seen. Worst fake mustache I've ever seen. (laughs) Okay. Um, All right, Liam, I think you got to close your team out here in the third round. Um, You know, Chris, Chris took a lot of the fan favorites here. He ended up with a great team there at the one spot. Uh, Liam, you're going to need to make a move here. I am going to as well. (laughs) Yeah, we're digging into the jobbers now to to find out who's going to round out my team. And I'm going to go with the one who had me just hysterically laughing at the beginning and end of this film, even though he, she, it didn't get much shine. That's Weasel. Weasel falling out of the plane and squirming around in the water. And that's how we presumed he went out. He just couldn't survive swimming to the mission had me in tears laughing. And then at the very end, when he coughs up the water and he just starts running all awkwardly to Corto Maltese, I was in tears. Sean Gunn does it again with his motion capture work. And just the incessant screaming of Weasel got me just dying laughing in the theater and is that a character we'll see in the future? I guess now, since, you know, he's still sort of alive. Any character that moves like that, I want to see again. Exactly. So Weasel rounds out my team, you know, doesn't get a lot of uh, screen time. But in the little bit he did, I thought he absolutely stole his scenes. Yeah. Um, you guys remember Scrat from Ice Age? The little, uh, the little yeah. uh, squirrel that just wants to get his nut. Yeah. I feel like Weasel's going to be that in Suicide Squad or DCEU movies going forward where he'll just pop up every now and again. <laughs> <laughs> um, but when 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 uh, Joel Kinnaman asked if anyone checked if the weasel could swim, I was like, this is the most perfect way to kill this character yeah. I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, did anyone check to see if he could swim? And Amanda Waller sitting there like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> no one checked in on that. It was awesome. Great, great um, bit character, I'll say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that was awesome. And I love that they brought him back at the end too. I mean, that was just a stroke of genius. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm glad he's not he's not done for good. Yeah, we'll definitely see him again. I'm gonna close this draft out. I was confident I was gonna be able to get this character here at the end. Um, but um I would have been upset if anybody took him, so I'm pretty happy I he's there for me in the last pick of the draft. Starro was terrifying. Like Starro was a scary villain. Not not just the giant kaiju thing, but like the the mind control stars were like I was terrified of that, and yeah. I think that obviously you know like villain motive is a weird thing, right? Like you know we can't really say that you know yeah, but what about Starro's motives? You know what I mean? Like he's an alien that wants to take over the world. It's more Amanda Waller's motives. It's more of the thinker's motive. But I'm taking Starro here because I'm racking my brain. 
I think Surtur would be probably the scariest thing to see in real life. You know, like if a giant fire monster actually existed, none of us have a chance at all. But I'm thinking Starro might be the actual scariest comic book villain ever. Like, like Thanos is a different kind of scary. Like, I'm legitimately scared of Starro. Like, James Gunn said that he was leading up to this movie. As a kid, I grew up scared of Starro, and now he got to make it. I think Starro is more intimidating than Darkseid was in the Snyder Cut, which is something that shouldn't happen. But I, I don't think anybody's going to argue, like, who would you rather see in a fight? I do not want to see Starro in a fight. I'm done. I don't have Ratcatcher 2. I can't beat Starro in any way, shape, or form. So I'm taking Starro here because I was surprised at how legitimately scared I was of this character. Yeah, I think that that's a great choice. I don't know that that's a choice that people are going to see right away and be like, Starro's on his team. What? So that's pretty mm-hmm. bold. But I agree with your reasoning. I think Starro was terrifying. And and seeing those stars attached to people's faces, like I've seen it in the comics and never really felt that, like like it was that scary before. But like something about like hearing their voices and, yes. and the way they were all saying the same thing at once and, and being controlled, obviously, by by one single entity was uh it was yeah that was pretty terrifying and i think that i I think that he's definitely for for being a kaiju monster that you know you're not very like emotionally attached to but just being like a like a scary like just a monster i i mean yeah absolutely yeah it for me it was when uh the big starro started screaming and then all the little minion scarros starros started screaming at the same time like chills scared like i don't like scary movies and that that like it made me uncomfortable which is something i never expected the giant pink starfish to do yeah yeah we talked about it in the review matt but just to reiterate here uh the the jaws effect of not showing the monster in full until the very end of the movie i thought really emphasized the scariness of this villain and you know it's a villain that i expected to kind of go in and have it be the butt end of a joke because at the end of the day it's a giant starfish fighting a team of anti-heroes that no one's ever heard of but they really emphasize like no this thing means business and the mind control is no joke so yeah star is a great pick definitely deserves to be on this list and i'm glad we were able to sneak him in there at the end now we can talk about some honorable mentions though we do have a couple from the movie itself but also i'd love to hear honorable mentions from the comics that we didn't see in this movie that you'd maybe like to see in a future flick Chris, do you have any honorable mentions? I I can't, I can't not say Condiment King. Yeah, <laughs> I have to say Condiment King. I mean, for biased reasons, I I uh, I was that's that's one of the, if you're gonna include like a joke character, I mean, that's kind of what me and James Gunn talked about for a second was that like like obviously when he said that Polka Dot Man is the dumbest DC character, I was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I, think that, I think there are some people that might you know match him there um yeah condiment king's my pick i'd love to see that guy in live action and i and i'm I'm very in the same way that james gunn kind of painted polka dot man in this very sympathetic light where he's crazy and he sees his mom and he you know and i feel like you could do that with a character like condiment king as well because i think that like what does it do to a guy's psyche who not only a thinks that condiments are you know a lethal you know thing (laughs) that you can you can use to take down Batman or you can use to rob banks or whatever. But not only how fucking crazy that guy has to be, right. but what has happened to that guy? <laughs> <laughs> 
that's made him think that he is, you know, a threat to be reckoned with. So yeah, I, I would love to see what, what makes a guy like that tick. I would have to imagine it's a uh, Harley Quinn situation. He fell on a vat of barbecue sauce and it just, <laughs> it just kind of took him over as a personality. Uh, Condiment King, uh, Condiment King and Nova brought to you by comicbook.com. It's coming. I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, that that's gotta happen. Uh, you know, everybody's got to start paying attention to these fan castings. Um, I can't not say Amanda Waller here. Uh, I almost took her over Starro. She might be the most hateable character um, in recent film history. Like, no one likes Amanda Waller, and Viola Davis just slays in that role. I think she was even more unhinged in this one, which is nuts to think about when you consider how crazy she was in the last one. And I think they did a really good job tripling down you know quadrupling down on no she will do horrible things to get this job done like they kept one-upping the stakes of how terrible she is and uh i just really appreciate amanda waller i hope she's an i like harley quinn like hopefully weasel in the future i hope amanda waller is in every suicide squad movie for the rest of time i love viola davis as amanda waller so she is so like stone-faced and dry to perfection in in these movies i love her so much also did i misunderstand the question i thought we were picking people that weren't in the movie but if we were still picking people you in the can movie, do both total yeah, okay, spectrum okay okay all right because i i was like I, if i misunderstood then i want to i want to go back and say captain boomerang because i yeah uh, <laughs> missed that guy and and i hated he was the one i hated i knew he was gonna die up front and i hated it yeah i i think that that was a good stakes death though liam oh, yeah. i think i think you'll agree jai courtney i mean he he kills that role yeah. Oh yeah, he does. He does. Yeah. All all names of letters, dickhead. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that was actually very funny. My two, I'll go one comic and one from a movie. Uh, Pete Davidson, I think it was Blackguard. Don't yep. didn't stick around long enough for yep. me to really remember his name, but that one joke he had at the beginning where he was like, oh, oh, gonna gonna grab the gun now, <laughs> killed me. I wish we got to see a little more of Pete Davidson. He was someone I was very much looking forward to in this movie, but someone that predictably was going to die. And then uh, the comic character I wish got in, which James Gunn actually mentioned, was one of the characters on his short list that got cut when he eventually finalized his team, Manbat. I'd love to see Manbat in live action. That was one of my favorite side missions of the Batman Arkham Knight game from a couple of years ago. And I remember him being like a highlight of the animated series when I was growing up. So Manbat in live action would be pretty fun. Don't know how he fits in a Suicide Squad movie, but I'm sure James Gunn could figure it out. I mean, you know, we got to tie him back into Batman somehow, right? Superman was name dropped in this movie. People forget. Mm-hmm. People forget. Um, just to recap the team, our guests from comicbook.com, Chris Killian, Peacemaker, Polkadot Man, King Shark, Liam's got Harleen Quinzel, Colonel Rick Flag, and The Weasel. And I broke away with Ratcatcher 2, Bloodsport, and Starro. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, uh, like Chris Killian. Solid picks. Yeah, solid teams. All good. The interesting thing, uh, you know, just by the numbers and the way everybody died off so early, which I think, you know, we talked about in the review, I think it was a good move to kill off that many people early to get the stakes up and also whittle this team down a little bit. Um, I think, you know, the interesting thing, Chris, you're the only one that came away with three characters that were in the entire movie. You know, like, like Starro was technically in the whole movie, but we, we know that he really wasn't. So, like, there was a limit to characters that, we're actually in the whole movie. And the fact that none of us took an outside the box pick in the second or third round allowed Chris to come away with probably the vote winner, because those are three characters that we got to know throughout the entire thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, but Starro, Starro was a sneak 
choice there who I, I you could get technical about it and go he's not really a member of the suicide squad so i don't know if he counts but bold choice bold choice for sure <laughs> it's my draft on like your rules. team then, then everybody <laughs> run yeah yeah i think we're in a good spot yeah he's still a part of the movie which is all that really counts in the end chris killian thank you so much for joining us I feel like we don't even have anything to plug for you. Everyone knows Daily Distraction Monday through Fridays every morning on comicbook.com on the YouTube as well. Uh, but if you have anything else coming up fun, feel free to shout it out now. Nope, nope. That's it, guys. Just, uh, you know, I'm on Instagram at CK Comedy, on Twitter at Chris Killian. Just, you know, follow me and uh, and then you can we can all you can all read our, our tweets together where we just hype each other up. 100%. Dudes supporting dudes. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you, guys. That was a quick question. That was a sizzle reel. That was a little brief explainer. First time ever. That was a review. That was an interview. That was a draft. And that's an episode, episode 45 of the direct podcast in your ears. Thank you so, so much for always listening, for supporting. Keep in lookout for all those giveaways we have planned for the fall. We love the listener fan base uh, that we've come to grow this community is fantastic we love interacting with everyone on socials and we love getting you guys invested into things outside of the world of comic book movie news and movies and projects and all that so matt weekly recommendation for the people this week what you got for me i um i caught luca uh me and the me and the new wife we watched luca and had a blast i'm not saying it was like one of the best pixar movies ever but it did what Pixar movies need to do. It got me emotionally invested near the end. It was fun. It was creative. It was straight up Little Mermaid meets Finding Nemo. That's that's exactly what it is, wrapped in Italy, and it's awesome. Silencio Bruno. Um, I really enjoyed Luca. I'd suggest it to almost anybody. The uh, uh, one of the main children is the blue Shazam kid, but not Billy. Other one from Shazam, the the crippled kid. Uh, uh, Braves first baseman, Freddie Freeman. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Braves first baseman, Freddie Freeman is in Luca. Um, uh, so yeah, I watched Luca. I loved it. Um, I had a great time. The aesthetic is really awesome. Their use of 3D and 2D together, I thought was really inspiring. It, it made things look bigger than maybe they should have been, but it was really, really cool. Something interesting about the animation. Uh, uh, Wallace and Gromit, is that makes yeah. sense the yeah, guy yeah. the british cartoons yep um, know exactly what you're talking about a lot more that kind of style than i expected but with pixar coloring which uh-huh. i really appreciated you know what i mean it wasn't that toned down british um you know grim kind of look with the fun animation it was that kind of animation style but it popped like popcorn and i loved it um yeah luca very good that's cool i take it it's been on my list for a while and this might be might be the push i need to actually press play uh, over on disney Bruno. plus but a show I am watching right now, I, I shouted it out earlier, Outer Banks, man, I love this show. I don't know what it is. Uh, it, it's, it feels like my generation's Goonies almost. And it feels like a, like a teen <laughs> Nick version. If, if Nickelodeon is uh, Stranger Things, this is like the teen Nick version. A little bit older, a little bit more, but not more mature, but you know, more, more teenage 
than yeah. than children's and not that stranger things is children's but it's more tailored to a younger ish audience and it's kind of encapsulated everyone uh, i loved season one of outer banks i had my doubts about season two and where they could go if they were just going to kind of milk the ip or if they actually had a, a good story to tell so far five episodes in i am hooked i don't know where the season's going uh the <laughs> there are some story beats that i'm like man convenient acting not great but at the end of the day it's it's outer banks it's fun and it's a great excuse to play left hand free by alt j at the very end of this podcast so if you haven't watched outer banks go watch it <laughs> and if you are watching outer banks uh tell me about it on socials because i don't really have many people to talk uh about it with because it's like me and two of my friends that watch it but it's so good and i don't know immerse yourself in outer banks um, you said it was your generation's Goonies. Um, I've seen the first like three episodes of the first season. Couldn't do it anymore. Um, no, it's so. I'm good. sorry. Hey, hey, it's, I'm not. I'm not 20 years old. That's that's the fair. That's fair. Um, can I give you a better comp just to because I know exactly what it is for your generation. Go for this it. This is good-looking people getting into dramatic situations, and the town is kind of a character itself, right? Yeah. This is your generation's One Tree Hill. This is your generation's gossip girl. This is I never I never I never watched One Tree Hill, but I I see where you're getting at. Yeah, these are these ABC CW shows from when I was a kid on Netflix. And I totally understand loving it. I don't. I so understand it, though. It's a guilty pleasure. It is a guilty pleasure. And I I think that there is some quality there, too. Sure. No, I'm not saying there's no quality. Sure. The story, the story is what gets me invested. As I said, there are acting moments, there are character choices that I'm like, why convenient? But at the end of the day, I every every episode ends. It was one in the morning last night. And I'm like, well, I can't watch episode, I can't not watch episode five right now. And of course I hit play. So I'm excited for the back half of the season, Outer Banks. I love getting into another show that's outside of the world of comic book movies. Cause as much as we love this stuff, uh, I never want to lose that passion. I never want to oversaturate myself too much. And Outer Banks has been a nice, a nice pause from the, the crazy uh, superhero that. world. So with that being said, that's episode 45. Make sure to keep those iTunes reviews coming. We have 70 right now. It's unbelievable june and july were fantastic months in terms of piling up reviews if we can get to 100 by the year's end i think that would be phenomenal for the show so keep them coming and as we uh showed in the quick question at the top you drop a question in there we will answer it on the podcast it will be priority we have other questions in the reviews that we are going to get to but we want to spotlight them on their own so they're coming in future weeks and if you have a bigger picture question a bigger picture topic we will break it down on the direct discourse we cannot thank you guys enough for listening and we will see you next week with episode 46 with what ifs premiere but for now enjoy some left hand free With my first pick, I'm taking Bloodsport. And then I say a little bit about why I like the character. You guys no, can I respond. Gotta, I haven't seen the movie yet. I don't know if you guys know that. I, I'm oh, literally no. going to see it right after this. I was, I'm doing this, and then I'm going. Like, so I haven't seen it. This might be a drastic audible we have to pull here. Yeah. Chris, if you're cool with it to knock this out in the morning, we'll keep it concise. We would really appreciate that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's do it then in the morning and I'll and I'll and I'll kind of jot down some mental notes as far as like I already know which characters I'm going to love anyway. 
Uh, but I, I feel Peacemaker is going to be my favorite. I know he is. There's, yep. Uh, but, See that that was the tweet you tweeted something about if Cena retires and plays Peacemaker forever, I'm okay with that. Just, and, that was just based on like he how much he is like embraced like wearing that costume. Mm-hmm, yeah. I feel like if I got cast as somebody, no matter who it was, I feel like I would do the same shit. I would right. just be so excited. I would wear that costume everywhere. Mm-hmm. I would do all my interviews in character. I would be. I'd be a. Didn't Cumberbatch do that for a little while? Uh I don't think so. I don't remember that. Sherlock, maybe? Because I don't remember. No, you know, he had the SNL bit as Doctor Strange. That's what. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, a few of them have done some SNL bits, but. Yeah. Um, Cena's all in. Cena, mm-hmm. it, I, I really admire that he's just rocking that thing everywhere. Because <laughs> it's not like a comfortable costume either. It's not like. It's well, not like uh, Chris Pratt going around with a leather jacket. Like, yeah, it's, the well, thing. the costume itself is not so bad, but I could see that helmet being awful. Absolutely. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's why Chris Evans doesn't wear it anymore. Um, so, yeah, if we could do this in the morning, because this is a draft I think the three of us can have a lot of fun with. Plus, okay. I get to rewatch it again before we do the draft, which I'm very excited about. Okay, yeah, sounds good. Then I, I'll watch it tonight, and uh, we'll do the draft at 9 in the morning, 10 your time, and uh, 8 your time. God Huge. bless you, Chris Killian. I, Chris Killian I mean? is the man. Thank you so much. For Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Killian. Oh, all right. All right. This Monday is gonna make segment. the podcast. This is gonna make no, the yeah, podcast. Well, sure. we we do we do uh we do bloopers at the very end. We do like a little record scratch after our outro music plays, and so we'll we'll drop this right down there. Live production meeting with special guest Chris Killian. I can't wait. I can't wait to listen to it. Chris is an avid listener. He knows. Oh yeah, yeah. he knows. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much, man. All right. Bye, guys. We'll see you tomorrow.